Sloppity wild piper. I've just always wanted to say that on a podcast. <laughs> Welcome to episode 50 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Jonathan Sharfie. Good evening. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And it has to be said, Jonathan, that our own little community has been growing, because not only can you now listen to us on the podcast, you can go check us out over on Instagram, but you can also... Now find us over on the YouTubes. Yes. Wasn't that an exciting uh, day when when those two videos dropped? It was, yes. So um, if you ever wanted to see what me and uh, Dan Wellington look like in person, (laughs) then you can now go see us over on YouTube because the uh, the latest sort of new foray for Narrative Wargamer is now in the realm of video. Yes. uh, Yeah. In addition to a, a, a little talking head video where I sort of talked about what narrative play is to me in you know Warhammer Forty Thousand and how I like to you know sort of approach the way I play the game, um, there was also the first ever narrative wargamer battle report, a narrative play mission, of course. Yes, uh, a very exciting one against uh, trying to find a relic, um, some nice armies, wasn't it? It was uh, interesting. You obviously put quite a lot of effort into a. Uh... Um, trying to do something a bit different uh, with your battle reports. I liked when they, uh, um, they used a stratagem and the little picture came up and a little description of what was happening. That, I mean, I think that was really nice. Um, I can imagine that might drag some some new people in to understand the game a little bit better. Yeah, I was, I was quite pleased with those because the idea was that I, I often think that stratagems, especially when used like the fun ones as opposed to just re-rolling dice to you know kill units off objectives or such um create the cinematic moments that we tell with our games and uh, i felt like well why don't i use those to create some actual little micro cinematic moments in the game and you know bringing the characters on the tabletop to life was uh, something that was just a, a lovely little idea that i envisioned and i was really pleased with how it came together um and i, I 
I'm gonna say I will I will shout about a little bit later on as well. But uh, a big thank you and shout out to uh, Robert J Bailey, who was the voice actor who helped contribute towards those uh, particular little cinematics and like intros and outros to to the battle report. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um... Um, it adds some real flavour. I, I mean, I particularly like it because you often watch other battle reports, and if you know the game, um, they might say, "Oh, well, I'm going to use two CP on minus one to hit," but it doesn't say what the strategy is and what the what the idea behind the the narrative of that strategy is. So it was really nice for it to to pop up with it with its name and a little explanation of how it worked. I thought it, you know, it it stood out as something quite unique uh, that you don't necessarily see um, with the sort of plethora of other narrow, um, uh, battle reports that you can see on YouTube and, and elsewhere. So it was really enjoyable. And obviously, you know, it's nice to see two people I know uh, throwing dice down and, and, and having a good time. Not taking it too seriously. It was a lot of fun being able to play a game against Dan. Like, I've played him before, obviously, but, like, getting to play him on camera and showcase one of the missions from the Crucible of War as well, because... And that's going to be one of the sort of mainstays of the channel. Um, it, it's uh, it's great. I've got a whole catalogue of narrative missions to play through. And um, although it uh, still needs editing at this time, I have already recorded a second battle report for the channel. So hopefully I could be getting that edited out and out in the near future. Oh, brilliant. Can't wait. <laughs> and um, we've got, the, we've got a, a date booked in for the third uh, one as well that's going to be getting played next month so yeah all sort of starting to uh, start up really over here and just slowly it, taking over the world I can't go anywhere without seeing you <laughs> so with everything sort of you know picking up pace little bit areas of uh, things that I produce now um, it has been starting to eat up my time quite a bit so yeah like this month particularly with all the last minutes of organization for the crucible of war um like it's been a very very busy month so i am aware listeners that um the time between episodes has been sort of extending a little bit on the podcast recently um and at this point i've uh, i've sort of made the decision that i'm going to try and move it to a monthly format i know that for the past sort of year we've been trying to sort of aim for two to three weeks tops between episodes but um in order to facilitate the time to start producing the battle reports and everything else um that i'm gonna start putting up on youtube as well then i definitely do not want to bring the podcast to an end i love it i love doing it um and even though it seems like um some of the mainstays in the warzone supplements have now come to an end it looks like we're going to be getting a bunch of interesting new next stages for 9th edition 40k coming out in the future anyway so um i'll look forward to covering the uh, the new sort of expanded rule sets for things like boarding action and all the i'm sure there's going to be some very interesting fun facts episodes relating to abaddon's fleet of space hulks so uh I, yeah the, i can uh, imagine that might be quite amusing yeah i mean i think you're right as well yeah you know when you're branching out you don't want it to to just um, consume your time completely do you um, you've got to balance everything, so I think you're making the right, you know the right decision, and you're providing lots of opportunities for for people to engage with 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 the you know the community you're creating. So um, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what what's going to move, what's going to happen moving forward. Yeah, and like I say, I'm looking forward to discussing it all here on the on the podcast as things develop because this is going to be sort of one of my 
ways to basically get in touch with you know the community and the listeners and sort of you know let everybody know what I'm up to <laughs> particularly anything in paint station garrisons or games played or this rate it's going to also be I don't know um the at the editor's desk <laughs> you know yes whatever I've been yeah. working on recently yeah I, when I when I watched the battle report and saw all the the graphics and all the little sort of intros and outros that you were doing I can only imagine that you just sat at your at your computer for about 10 days straight because um <laughs> you know I think anybody who's done any kind of video editing knows that that it's quite a painstaking process without adding all you know building and creating all that kind of content as well so so I I, I half expected to see you bedraggled and perhaps three stone lighter when we finally saw you emerge from your cave but um yeah it's, it was well worth it and, it and it was you know it was very professional and it looked really really good so um it, but it is time consuming so you know you, the balance has to be there doesn't it it does but i also feel like i'm going to be in the swing of things like i created a lot of the assets for that first one with the intention obviously being able to then reuse them you know in future episodes mm. so like i've got a lot of the core um graphics and animations and stuff that will be like the channel brands and things yeah down um the second recording day i had a, a better like recording schedule so you know like it's 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 a new venture and it's new things to learn and i'm sure i'll get quicker and better at it as we go along um the support from the patrons in particular has been really instrumental in getting some of the equipment you know to, be able to start doing it um like i was really pleased overall with the finished final product for that first battle report considering that it was a first time battle report you know it wasn't like something that i've been doing for ages and got up yeah to it. agreed i was really happy with it as my first outing um so i'm glad the sort of professionalism to it that at least i can achieve currently you know filming in my living room with an iphone <laughs> um I'm, I'm pleased with what I got out of it, with what I had to work with. So, you know, I feel like there's a baseline established now and hopefully we can grow from there. I look forward to seeing what happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's sort of like everything that we're going to be, you know, looking forward to in the near future for the channel. Um, like I say, the podcast is not going anywhere. It's just going to sort of evolve to its next natural step, I think, and as is everything else that I'm working on and hopefully listeners will be there to... Um, follow along, like, subscribe, you know, join the Patreon, this, that, and the other, and everything else that they do in their wonderful ways to help support me and, you know, help uh, create all this wonderful narrative play content that we enjoy and love. But as for tonight, uh, we've actually got a couple of interesting things lined up for this episode. So, first of all, as you'll have gathered from the title of the episode, uh, the spotlight topic later on is going to be Chaos Demons on Crusade. And... Whilst I have not actually uh, dusted off my demons for 9th edition, I was a very avid demon player in 8th edition, so um, this is one that I've picked up the codex, I've got the rules here, I've poured over it, and I love it. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting my demons out again in the near future, and the whole reason why we've got Sharpie on with us tonight is because uh, you also are a demon player, one with uh, perhaps some more recent experience of the ways of chaos than myself. Yeah, and uh, I sus suspect we might have a, a conversation about that uh, coming up soon. Um, yeah, I absolutely love demons. Um, I think they, they, um, I think they're the most visually striking army that you can get on the on the table when you've got all the different colours and all the different sort of thematic elements to it, all sort of 
spreading out across the table. I just I just think that that they're awesome and and totally forty k. Um, yeah, and, I, yeah. and you know, I just love playing them. That's one of the things that I love about them from like not just a law perspective, but I, I think chaos demons and the characters of the chaos gods and their minions, like their demonic ones, is some of the most unique Games Workshop IP that there is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. However, you look at it, you know, like Eldar are space elves, Squats are space dwarves, you know, humans are humans, a space marine is a super soldier, like things yeah. which are all Games Workshops take on tropes from you know sci-fi and fantasy and everything else and you know even the orcs are a very games workshop take on what an orc is yeah but not much else really has you know what a plague bearer or a flesh hound or yep. a keeper of secrets is it's very sort of unique games workshop territory and that's one of the things i love about chaos demons yeah absolutely yeah brilliant absolutely absolutely love them um you know, and yeah, I played them all through eighth, and uh, I I've really enjoyed um, what's in the new codex as well, um, and and I've had a game with them. Um, like I say, perhaps we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, and then the other sort of main feature of tonight's episode is we actually have an interview segment later on in the show. Um, it's a very exciting one, one which I was both amazed and like. Uh, just excited to do when I actually got the opportunity but um, I've actually got on Paul and John from TMCB Studios who if you remember from last episode they were my community shout out and part of that reason was because I had lined up the opportunity to have an interview with them to ask them all about their terrain project building that wonderful set of Demon World terrain for Tabletop Tactics um, What lovely terrain that is Absolutely spot on. Faces coming out of cliffs and all sorts. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, anyway, it was a really interesting conversation. Um, listening to you know how they made it all, how they got in touch with you know tabletop tactics in the first place, like um, how they sort of uh, interacted with the team over there and everything. It was just great conversation. So that's that's coming up later on in the episode. So stick around for that. And uh, yep. yeah, it's it's a good one. Um. But coming up next, we'll move on now to our games played, where uh, Sharpie can tell us a little bit about his own recent demonic generalmanship, and uh, I have some games of my own to talk about as well. So uh, yeah, we'll be back with that in just a second, guys. Games played. And we're back, guys. So, yeah. Demons, demons, demons. Unfortunately, I have not had the chance to play them myself, but someone who has is Sharpie. So tell us, how are they to play? Uh, so um, I I met up with some some friends over the over the last weekend. Uh, we met up Saturday and Sunday. Um, we, we regularly, uh, there's eight of us, and we throw down like a 5,000 points aside game. Um, Twelve fifty points each. It's it's pretty much always orc versus chaos. Um, so I brought the chaos demon element to the to the chaos side of the army. Put a little uh, a mixed force of uh, something from from every god, um, and and they are they're, they're nice. Um, they're 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 good. They're they're pretty scary um, for for the opposition because I got ganged on pretty quickly. 
um, and they, they didn't like what they were seeing. But I can say a um, couple of standout units. Uh, the Flamers are pretty nasty now. Um, uh, and um, the, the Plague Drones are pretty resilient. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're really, really good. There's some, some nice strategies in there to get to sort of get them working really well. So, yeah, the, the, the first day we always play um, just sort of basic units with a, with a Warlord. And then on the Sunday we have what we call Super Heavy Sunday. And then it's not, we don't tend to go with sort of bringing a battalion or, or keep it battle forged. We, we tend to bring the big stuff. So on the, on the Sunday there was uh, lots of knights, there was lots of stompers and more canots. And I brought a great unclean one, um, a bloodthirster, a soul grinder. And we just throw down with the big stuff. Um, and uh, let me tell you now, the uh, the Bloodthirster is a monster of a of a unit in the uh, in the new codex, an absolute monster. Um, I took it with the um, can only take eight wounds a phase, uh, Warlord trait. I think it is, isn't it? And uh, he just he just smashed things. He took out a kill rig, then a stomper, and then um, some Forge World Orc battle tank. Um, step by step, he was amazing. I can heartily recommend uh, the, the 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 new Codex. It, it was it was a great deal of fun. Um, long weekend uh, spent um, what felt like an eternity playing about eight hours on both days. But yeah, really really good. Okay, cool. So, uh, what would you sort of say is the next thing you're looking towards then with the demons like? Which bits are you wanting to try out, or things would you like to get next? Or... So, so um, I haven't tried out a, a mono god um, army yet, and obviously, um, if you take a mono god, you're more likely to be able to use some of the more of the warp storm effects, because um, obviously the the god ones are locked into um, having a, a bit um, some kind of um, battalion or patrol. Um, of just uh, one type of god, um, because I only had 1250 points and um, it was a mixture of all gods. It only I was only able to use the undivided warp storm effects, which are quite um, it's quite random. I mean, you can't re rely on them, but it is quite nice suddenly putting D3 wounds back into every single unit on the on the table um, at the end of the turn. So, but yeah, I'd like to um, I'd like to play with an old corn one. My uh, my first love when I first got into demons was I went I went full corn um, in terms of buying the units and I've, and I've got probably about 2,500 points of corn um, so I'd, I'd like to get, um, give that a go uh, and then um, after that I've, I've got some a sort of wish list of a few units that I'd like to pick up um, I haven't got too many Slanesh units so I quite like some fiends um, is it the Infernal, Infernal, Enrapturous. So I think that's a really nice model, and I'd like to get them on the table and see see what they do. Um, some of the, the um, some of the, some of the Slash characters are lovely now. Like the models yeah. are gorgeous, and to be honest, I like quite a few of the rules for a lot of them. I really like the um, the rules as well for the um, contorted epitome. Yeah, yeah, yeah the mirror thing. thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically like a super slashy psyker. Yeah, um, which when comboed with some of the things in the psychic tree for them is brilliant. Like I, um, I, I'm guessing in you know in the big scale game you played, you probably didn't get much chance to play around with the leadership based deep striking effects. 
No, um, it, um, not a huge amount, but um, I did put some units in Deep Strike, and and it, and it's really nice because we were playing Orcs. Um, obviously, they they don't have the highest leadership in the world, and obviously, if you Deep Strike into the middle of the board, you can Deep Strike within the leadership value of the of the unit you're falling in within. So actually, I, I had some nice seven and eight inch sort of deep strikes. Um, if you deep strike into your own um, deployment zone, you can deep strike within three inches. So I had a nice unit of demonettes appear in our deployment zone to, to counterattack um, some, um, is it, are they storm boys? The ones with the weird rocket yes. jet packs. Yeah, so we had some jet, some of them arrived turn two for the orcs and then some nice deep striking demonettes arrived turn three for us um, within three inches of them. And they're pretty nasty now, just through sheer weights of attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think they have four each, apart from the the. I can't remember what the, what they call the. She's not a captain, is, is she? The, but the is it the Alluris? The Allur uh, the Alluris. That's that sounds very Slaneshi, doesn't it? Yeah, let's go with that. Um, yeah, the Alluris has got five attacks as well. So, so just sheer weight of dice. Um, uh, they are pretty nasty. Um, so yeah, I can heartily re- recommend that the plague bearers um, significantly more resilient now. It took a, it took a long time to remove ten of them off a, an objective when we played on Saturday because the toughness five and two wounds now um, you can make them minus one to hit with a with a stratagem. Um, yeah, they're they're good. That all the units seem to have 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 got better, um, which, which is good. Um, but you, you take a lot less now than than you used to, and and part yeah. part of me is a little bit sad that that all the the troops are, are sort of locked to ten models now, because <laughs> there was something really nice about dropping twenty or thirty blood letters into the middle of the board and knowing that they'd automatically fail their charge and get shot to pieces, but you'd still have a few left <laughs> to kill something. Um, Ah, uh, but now you've got toughness four bloodletters with a four up inbound against ranged. So well, that is true. And, th- and to be fair, the new saves are awesome. The new saves are awesome. There's something great about somebody saying, "Oh, that's minus three, and you just say, "I don't care. It, I'm just going to roll this. It's going to be a four. Um, so yeah, no, really, really nice. I really enjoyed playing with them. They're, they've they've got significantly better, I think, than, than where where they were at. And I look forward to throwing down some of the other units that I obviously didn't have enough points to to play with. Um, the great the greater demons are awesome, um, and I, and I love the fact that you can you can pay points to get them make them exalted now um, rather than have to use a stratagem. Oh, if you like upgrading uh, greater demons, then you are going to love the crusade rules later oh. on in the show. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, I, yeah. I think the the the, the takedown I've got from the Crusade rules is when you first put your roster together, make sure you've got at least one Greater Demon in it because you are going <laughs> to want that bad boy powering up over the course of your games. Yeah, yeah. you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, I, I think the new Demon rules are really fun. I think there's some really clever play in them, some really um, cool options in army building. Um I think a really canny player can put a lot of tricks off with them. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that they were great at doing back in 6th and 7th edition and that I felt sort of dropped off from the character of the army in 8th was that 
they force the opponent to approach the game in ways they wouldn't do with any other army because of the whole like like I say the whole army wide invuns so like you don't care about terrain yeah um you're not trying to cower in it you don't care about enemies ap values um even things like these days now where when they bring the in, in, in the when they bring the invun ignoring weapon, actually, that doesn't work against you. Yep, absolutely. Um, the, deep the... striking, but, but deep striking is less than nine inches here and there. Yeah, and if you've got, if you take one of the named greater demons, they all have the, I think it's the warp locus ability, which means they can deep strike within six inches of the enemy if they're within six inches of, of them, which is a really um, nice um, trait that you can take, um, which gives a nice advantage. I really like the way they doled out um, warp focus across yeah. the, the gods in the book because basically um, all of the named greater demons have warp locus, yeah. including Belagor. Yeah. Um, and then every god has access to one other method of getting a warp locus. Yeah. Um, so in the case of Khorne and Nurgle, it's both their fortifications. So yeah. the Skull Altar and the Feculent Armor are warp locus. Yep. Yeah. And Zinch has access to a Warlord trait, which makes that demon have Warp Locus. Yep. And Sunesh has the Infernal Enraptress, so the the woman with the harp. Yep. Actually has Warp Locus. Okay, I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, she's great. It's one of the hidden little secrets about her. Yeah, it's one um, of the best she... best models that they've released in years as well. Uh, yeah, I, must, I must I must get one. It's just such an awesome model. So yeah, like pouring over this book, there's there's tons of cool stuff in there, and I think there's lots of play. Like, it's little things that which won't come up until you play certain armies. Like for example, because the deep strike is based off leadership, but it doesn't matter whether or not the opponents are effectively fearless or not. Um, it has real strong play against armies like Tyranids, because while things like Hormagons and Termagants are fearless because of the synapse rules. That doesn't change the fact that they're only like leadership five. <laughs> yeah. So the actual models have that leadership value instead of being running from Ral, they're just gonna be really close range charges for demons because they can still appear five inches yeah. away. Uh, and and I don't know how, how this, this stacks, but obviously um pretty much every demon unit in the game has the demonic terror aura. Which means if they're within six inches of a unit, you take one off the leadership of the characteristic of that unit as well. So, so actually, if you're lowering their their leadership and then you're deep striking other units in, and their leadership is lower, I don't know. Does that does that lower the the charge or? Uh, so it doesn't because right. how the ge- how the general rules of the game work is that if you're affected, unless specified specifically by the ability, yeah, if you are affected by two sources of the same name ability, you d- it doesn't stack. So the rule demonic terror, if you're in range of two demon units, you're still only at minus one leadership right. because you are within range of the ability demonic terror doesn't matter how many sources of it unless the rule specifically stated that it stacks and quite often if they do they have a limit we'll say like you know right. up to minus two or three total but which is why it's interesting and important to make note of the other sources in the demon book which give minus one leadership so things for example the corn warlord trait aspect of death yeah which is basically demonic terror again it's yeah it is if you're in six of this demon you're minus one leadership and minus one combat attrition checks but 
that means because he's also got demonic terror, if you're in six inches of him, you're actually at minus two leadership and minus two combat attrition. Which is pretty nasty when you're when you're rolling combat attrition uh, and you uh, you're losing threes and ones, twos, threes. Yeah. Fours. I mean, it's getting pretty nasty, isn't it, by that point in time? Yeah, I was just saying, which is one of the things that that caught um, some of my opponents out on at the weekend because they obviously, you know, they were getting in close and they were the the demons don't tend to last that long once they're in sheer weight of numbers. But actually, if you're forcing a, a morale test uh, and they fail at minus one leadership, and then they're within six inches and they've got, you know, they're less than half, and then all of a sudden they're, they're losing models on one, twos, and threes. Um, you're suddenly, cu- you know, a couple of models are suddenly having a massive effect on on the, their unit. So so it caught a couple of my opponents out at the weekend as they, they saw some, some of their units run away pretty quickly. Yeah, and again, I think there's lots of fun little tools to actually sort of build on that because... Again, anything that's an additional source of leadership modifiers will stack. So there's yep. an exalted gift for Grey and Cleemons that's, again, minus one leadership and combat attrition for being close. Um, there's a Sneshi Psychic Power, which causes like uh, a two to three mortal wounds typically, but for every mortal wound inflicted on a unit, that unit's in a minus one leadership until the start of your next psychic phase. Yeah. Which means it applies all the way through to your next. Um, movement phase so the next time you're deep striking that unit is still debuffed on its leadership value yeah um there's like there's there's tons of stuff to sort of have that interplay and just sort of really find fun ways to um make all this stuff work like um again there's called warlord trade that's like plus one to charge um there's a exalted suneshi demon gift that's plus two to advance and charge rolls yeah well if you're appearing six inches away from an opponent with a plus two to charge rolls, you're making a four inch charge at a deep strike with a greater demon. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they're good. I, I think they've got a lot of good tools and um, I can, I can see a lot of fun with them in the future. So I intend to dust mine off at some point. Yeah. I had, I had a lot of fun with them, uh, especially on the, on the Sunday when, when I was throwing some of the big uh, units around Um that you know they they were pretty nasty um they weren't easy to take off the table they were doing some pretty horrendous stuff to to units that you wouldn't expect to to be disappearing so quickly so so yeah great absolutely great cool well speaking of playing chaos while i might not have been playing 40k i did this past weekend get a chance to play some games with a chaos force of my own and that was, in fact, my Chaos Cult gang for Necromunda. Because uh, I attended SumpCon this weekend, uh, the sort of annual event run by the um, Sump City Radio podcast. And uh, yeah, I got to meet up with Steve and Chris from the show and uh, uh, roll dice playing Necromunda games again. And it was great because I love me some Necromunda. All right. It's not a game I've ever played, to be quite honest. But uh, I know that the people that like it really sort of extol the version the you know the the virtues of the game and um you know and some of the great things that you can do with it oh it is great i say any like long time listeners will know that um some of my early days in podcasting was actually as part of a necromunda podcast um so i was originally one of the co-hosts of chronicles from the underhive um and yeah, like I've been playing Necromunda ever since its release in 2017. Like it's it's re-release. I never played the 90s version. 
Um, I would have had the opportunity, but um, I just I was too busy playing Blood Bowl and 40k and Warhammer Fantasy Battle and yeah. everything else. I just, just it, never it, quite got around to it. If I remember correctly, it sort of appeared on the radar just as I was dipping dipping out of it in my teens. Um, so you know, where I was, I was aware of the all the cardboard buildings and the and the gangs. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that um, that really pulled me in at the time as I, as I was leaving the hobby. But the the new stuff, I mean, the terrain that they're releasing now for Necromunda is like pretty amazing, isn't it? So, I mean, it is. It is great for it. Um, the all the Zomortalis stuff, all the Sector Mechanica stuff, is great um, to get the uh, terrain kits from Games Workshop and build them specifically for Necromunda. If ever you get a chance to go to Warm World and play on the Zomortalis tables they have there, those are right. brilliant games for Necromunda. There's a there's a really um, nice table there, isn't there? That's on multi multi levels as well with pipes that I think always looks like it could be a a really nice Necromunda table. Yeah, it's sort of like a a, a mining facility yeah, slash that, refinery built yeah. built into like a chasm. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to play a Necromunda game on that someday. Um, but yeah, it's um, it is a ton of fun, and I honestly think it's probably one of the best immersive, like narrative-based games currently produced by Games Workshop. Because okay. in it, in a funny way, Necromunda is so bloated and convoluted, and has so many layers of uh, just tricks and um, rules and resources to pull from that it's almost impossible for any one person to really know it all, stay on top of it all, and be so tactically sharply minded that they're aware of every possible play that, you know, an opponent could, you know, pull out at any given moment of any given gang. Um, And as such, there's a great attitude of it for most players where people just kind of just roll with it. You know, like they go into games expecting the unexpected all the time. And, you know, when... A play goes off, or an ability is used, or a tactics card comes up, or just a dice roll goes one way that results in something that you might have done a little differently if you knew it was coming. Yeah, doesn't matter because it's almost expected that they're not done as gotcha moments. They're by no means gotchas. Uh, like people are often very open about what they can and can't do and what they might try, but the game itself is just so many factors. It's like a domino effect. Like everything can really just dissolve into chaos theory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I've watched, I've watched a few battle reports from, um, from some other sort of you know internet celebrities who've, who've who've played it, and I've always watched it and thought, wow, this looks chaotic. You know, uh, you, things like in forty k when you when you've got a plan and you, you you know sometimes you think, well, this can't fail because I've got sheer weight of numbers on my side. It never seems to be the case of that with Necromunda. It almost feels like, well, I'm gonna do this. But nobody quite knows what's going to happen at the end of this. You might be dead. I might be dead. We both might be dead. Uh, so yeah, it yeah. always it seems like um, quite an interesting game to, to to play. Again, that I think is part of the reason why a lot of people just roll with the punches with it and just enjoy it for what it is. Because actually, yeah. every single fighter activation can trigger a chain of events that you just could not have foreseen. Um, so like in forty k, if you if you go to shoot, you know, a unit, an enemy unit, you literally declare a target, uh, roll X number of dice for shots, and yep. you're rolling, you're rolling to hit and to wound, and then your opponent is rolling to make saves. That's the general gist. There's sort of three yep. layers to it, uh, and none of them break that linear path. 
It's not like something happens if you uh, to all your dice that rolled misses or failed to wound or um, things like occasionally you might get stuff that can like bounce back mortal wounds if they roll six to wound. You know, uh, sorry, uh, not six to wound, like a six to save. Yeah. You know, like force field effects, stuff like that. So then passing a save might have a ricochet effect effectively, but these are very minimal instances in 40k. It's very minimal amounts and it's usually a stratagem and stuff like that. Necromunda, the general gist of a ganger who has an auto gun aiming and firing an enemy ganger with an auto gun has a whole plethora of things that can happen. Yeah. Like first first of all, you have to check to see whether or not they are the closest visible target because you have to take a willpower check to shoot something that isn't the closest target because the closest right. thing obviously is intimidating because it's closer. Yep. You know, it's about imminent threat, but are you level-headed enough in order to, you know, target prioritize in the moment? Then when you declare your targets, um you'll then roll them uh, a rapid not rapid fire dice, but you'll roll a firepower dice as well as a hit dice. To represent how many shots are fired because certain automatic weapons like an auto gun can land more than one hit off one dice roll um if you do land safe uh three hits then you can spread that fire across multiple targets you know if there were three people stood together you could have sprayed all three of them right you could have concentrated into one person um every shot that misses uh, if there was anyone else friend or foe along the line of fire between the firing model and the target there's a chance that they get hit by stray rounds because you haven't hit the target, you might have hit something else. Um, the the firepower dice might result in an ammunition check because your weapon might jam or you might run out of ammo, mm. which then all weapons have different ammo types and chances of having more and different instances of like being plentiful, like las gun or rare ammo, like a plasma gun. Then once you've hit the target, you then have to roll to wound and then they have to roll to save, which is very standard, but... yeah. Um, even if you don't wound them because they've been hit, they're going to get pinned, so they get knocked on their back, you know, or die for cover, one or the other, um, whether they you successfully wound them or not. Um, if you do wound them, then actually they don't just lose a wound. They they do if they're a multi-wound model, based on the damage of the weapon, like in 40k. Yeah. But if they're reduced to zero wounds, they don't just go out of action like a 40k model. These are just dead and removed. You roll an injury dice to see what kind of injury they've suffered. Oh, nice. And, you know, and that can be flesh wounds or out of action or seriously injured. So they could be end up bleeding out on the floor. Um, and if someone gets shot and is bleeding out, then they have an, uh, like a radius of effect, which could cause other friendly fighters to panic and break because they've just seen their friend get shot. Um, depending on where people are when they get shot, they might uh, if they're on a gantry, you don't have to check if they fall off the gantry or not, if they keep their footing. <laughs> if they do fall off, you have to work out how far they fall, who they fall on, how hard the impact is. And it's it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And that's a basic auto gun guy shooting a target. That's before you get into all the eccentric weapons and stuff. Like yeah. I was playing a chaos gang. I brought cursed demonic weaponry. <laughs> So I'd be causing people to take willpower checks to see if they go insane because they got hit by my, you know, accursed warp storm bolter. <laughs> and, I mean, you, you've sold it to me. You've sold. I, you, it sounds pretty awesome. I'm gonna have to, yeah, pick up a rule book. I think. <laughs> and the thing is that while obviously for dramatic effect, I've sort of labelled out every possible thing that could happen. Every time you fire maybe one out of 10 of those things happens. Yeah. But the thing is, you don't know which one of the 10 it's going to be, which can result in tons of different scenarios and situations. Um, like, so 
it's it's a reason why I love Necromunda. <laughs> and um, at this weekend, I managed to play um, like two big games and one little game because like my third game of the day was like a bar brawl. So it was right. literally like half your gang who were just getting into a drunken bar brawl, and I was actually fighting the Iron Head prospectors who were like the new squat gang in Necromunda. <laughs> yep. Uh, so they were just beating each other over the head with bottles, and uh, uh, weirdly, my uh, my cult witch was uh, there, and I ended up causing everybody to go insane because I had a I, I perils of the warp when casting one of my powers, which, unlike again forty k, where there's a simple thing of oh your perils take some wounds, in Necromunda, there's a perils of the warp effects table, so depending on what goes wrong, uh, one game he, he became possessed by a demon, but like in a good way, you know, where I was like infused by its power, oh, yeah. um, so he basically went on a. I, he, he went on a rampage for a turn where he basically becomes godlike because he gains like plus three to like every stat and attacks and becomes up a skill two plus and gets like energy crackling fists of fire. He just punches people and they explode. But he automatically goes out of action at the end of the following turn as right. he explodes slash collapses, you know, <laughs> from the possession. Um, in the bar brawl, um, I tried casting a power that makes all the enemy fighters test for insanity. Which I did one turn and made about half of the enemy go insane. And then the following turn I did it again by perils. And the effect was that the effects were reversed. So instead it was all my fighters had to test for insanity. <laughs> um, because I lost control of the power. And then half my guys failed the insanity checks. Which actually meant we've had a bar brawl where both people on both sides were insane. Which involves running on a table which could be like resulting in randomly determined behavior such as breaking or running or even the opponent controlling your fighter for that activation and all sorts of stuff and i love it i love necromunder i just i don't get a chance to play it very often and going to SumpCon once a year is one of the things i definitely make sure i do because it gives me these opportunities to play these honestly mad enjoyable crazy games of skirmish 40k it sounds awesome where where, where does it take place so it actually takes place at tabletop events. Oh, <laughs> where we okay. hold the crucible of war. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, yeah, I mean because, that, wasn't, you know, that wasn't intended. I just I was interested. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it makes sense. Yeah, honestly, again, we've talked about the virtues of the terrain that they have there for forty k, but they have just as much terrain to fill out. You know, sixteen, twenty tables of necromunda. Yeah, you know, and honestly, these things are brilliant. Like. Um, in my first game, I played the Lord of the was it King of the Spire scenario, which basically involves it's sort of like a, a shootout mission, you know, where you score victory points for taking out opposing gangers. But every round, whoever has the highest um, fighter on the table also scores a victory point. So it's about scaling the spire as you fight, right? Um, and that was brilliant because um, I think. I think how high it would have been, but the terrain they had there, I think it was like a, a three inches per story, and I think it must have been about at least ten stories. So it was about oh, wow. thirty centimeters tall, uh, thirty inches tall, even um, this tower. Like it was taller than me. I was reaching up, and I'm stood at a table, yeah. reaching up to put my models on top of the tallest spire. Uh, and yeah, I, I was playing with a chaos cult gang. So I had like champions with demonic weapons. I had a cult leader with a, a storm, like a demonic storm bolter and demonic power sword. I had a warp horror, which is basically sort of like 
it's not literally a chaos spawn it's more like a demonic entity um sort of thing but that was my big burly sort of brutish chaos monster that was just you know flailing away and eating people that came too close nice um everybody should have one yeah (laughs) a demonic flamethrower guy i had all sorts and it was just also uh, hilarious like my first game that spire climbing game i played against a crude mercenary band which basically used venator rules to be sort of like a mercenary a bounty hunter gang like a collective wow. of bounty hunters um and that was great um like my second game was him one of uh, steve's own creations it's like a trick-or-treat scenario mission for like a halloween themed make it game um, where the, both gangs are going around knocking on the doors of like the hive scum habitants, um, <laughs> like all the habitats. Yeah. And uh, you're trying to uh, get candy from them and then you're fighting over the candy <laughs> to see who has the most at the end of the game. But the fun thing with that is that every character in a shack is one of the cast characters from the podcast. All right. So, like, it's Cannabella, it's. Um, uh, Trevor, uh, Becky Boom and like all the other characters, uh, Blitz and Krieg, all sorts. So like, if you if you if you haven't gone to listen to some city radio, I've mentioned it many times before. Go listen to it. It is a brilliant source of Necromunda right. information and hilarious content. It's mm. it's brilliant. Okay, give it a go. Whew. So yeah, that was that was my weekend. Uh, <laughs> all. Um, chaos praising and cult shenanigans and all sorts of decrement of fun and I loved it and uh, yeah it was it was great. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a great deal of fun. Yeah, I must I must get the a copy of the rule book and have a flick, flick through. I I have got um, I have got some Necromunda models because um, for some of my chaos cultists I use the. Um, uh, the, the the clan that looked like the like fifteenth century peasants. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Cordors. The Cordor ones. Yes, I've got some Cordor uh, um, that I used to, to flesh out the, my cultists for my care space marines. So I have technically got some, some models. So <laughs> I ought to you can do a chaos uh, corrupted Cordor gang. Yeah, there we go. So um, <laughs> I, I must I must get the rule book because I hear such good things from so many different people. Um, and I, I sometimes wonder that you know maybe I, I spoke last time that my you know, maybe my children had fallen out of love a little bit with 40k, but maybe something more skirmishy like that might that they can play quickly with me or a bit quicker with me might might bring them back. Um, so, so yeah, I must I must pick up a rule book. I only hear good things about it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Like I say. Um, I'll send you some resources. The uh, the Sum City Radio uh, community on Facebook is brilliant. There's a right. they've got some like user made guides on what books to pick up for things because, like I say, I'm a pretty seasoned Necromunder player in that I keep up with it all. I know a lot of it. I know what I need. I know what resources have come out in the yeah. you know, five years since the game first released. I was bringing a Chaos Gang to that event specifically because we were starting with like higher than normal um, gang value and right. we had access to the trading post at creation and the chaos cult is normally a bit of a slow burn gang to develop because it takes time to get stuff from the black market yeah whereas this was i could just have access to it all to begin with so i brought a ton of demonic weaponry i even had a demonic las gun <laughs> 
Fair enough. Um, which is hilarious. But um, in order to run that gang, I needed the Necromunda Caudal book, the um, Gangs of the Underhive book, uh, the book of... Uh, so that's like the core rules, the rules for the core trading post and gang creation. Yeah. Uh, I then needed the Book of Ruin, which is the book all specifically about chaos cults and corrupted gangs. Okay. Uh, I then needed the Book of Judgment because that was the one that includes all the black market items for the trading post. So that's where all my demonic weaponry was. Um, I also needed the White Dwarf issue that had the rules for the um, outlaw gang brutes, which included the Warp Horror. Um, so I needed like five books just to run this ten-man chaos gang the way I wanted to. Yeah, but that's 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 quite intensive, isn't it? But only, it only is, about that, ten that models, because, so yeah, it, it, it's like one book for every two models. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, um, that that's not a particularly pleasing ratio, but I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but that is very much an extreme example. You know, yeah. like if you just want to play a cardo gang, then all you need is like the cardo book and the rule book, right? Know, essentially. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll send some resources your way. Yeah, sure brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll def- definitely have a look, definitely have a look at it um, because <laughs> you know, um, like I say, I only ever hear good things from the people that play it, and a couple of people have asked me if I'm interested in the past, and uh, my answer has always been I very rarely, I don't have enough time to play 40k sometimes. So, but you know, maybe maybe that will be a better way. Um, use of my time so yeah definitely i'll have a look at it you've you've sold me on uh on certainly giving it a go <laughs> excellent well like i say i, I hope you enjoy it i definitely do yep. i tried to make time for it where i can but um, yeah but to bring us back somewhat tangentially to 40k yeah um i think now will be a good time to uh go check out our interview with the guys at TMCB Studios and they can tell us all about how they went about creating their demon world for uh, Tabletop Tactics. So yeah, we'll be back with that in just a second, guys. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles, and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. Right, and we're back, guys, with an exciting segment with some very special guests, because tonight I am joined by Paul and John from TMCB Studios. Hello. Hiya. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on, and uh, yeah, we're just going to have a little chat for uh, a while now about the sort of things that you get up to at TMCB, and uh, well, there's one project in particular that we're going to talk about, but before we dive into that... Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves first of all, like you know, um, who you are, how it, how you sort of came together, and what TMCB Studios is all about. Okay, John, do you want to go first, or shall I? Oh, you go first. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Too kind, too kind. Yeah, um, <laughs> So, without without obviously giving too much away with, with my age, um, I was a big fan into 
the likes of uh, Hero Quest that when that first came out, not the not the new iteration, but play that as well. Big into got into Rogue Trader, and then really from there into University, kind of got really into making the odd bit of scenery for Necromunda when it first came out. Um, at University played a lot of that, made a lot of scenery for it, and, and kind of had a real love for that. And then, as I think most people do in the, in the kind of field, they kind of come and go into the the hobby backwards and forwards. And uh, I was fortunate. To, it was back in 2010, 2011, uh, at a place I was working. Uh, John was working there as well. Uh, we became firm friends, and, and <laughs> I'd be bold to say his best friends. Um, he, he may not say the same, but uh, and, and we got back into gaming kind of together, really, from that. And that's kind of how it kind of spawned as far as as wanting to, wanting to do something in the community, wanting to do something with the hobby that wasn't just purely gaming. Um, I think, and yeah. That, that's that's kind of really where we've we've kind of got to obviously what what we want to do for TMCB. I'll, I know John, if you want to do your part first, yeah. what you can say about that. Yeah, so I guess just a bit of background about myself, a uh, bit like Paul, um, bit uh, <clears throat> bit younger, bit uh, better looking. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but yeah, I kind of started yeah quite 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 young, getting into to kind of uh, board games and things like that so I probably started with yeah again hero quest and kind of after school war games clubs uh, got into warhammer um and warhammer 40k um probably i think it was second edition i think when i joined i think i remember buying my first kind of model was the uh, I, I went straight in and bought the um the, the kind of uh, die cast uh, Abaddon, it was about, I think it was nine pounds in a blister pack. Uh, not sure what I was going to do. The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. And yeah, so kind of uh, yeah, played 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 for a while at school and got into kind of Lord of the Rings um, uh, tabletop game as well through Games Workshop. Played that for a, for a long while um, and then gave it all up when I went to university and kind of discovered uh, drinking and, and socialising. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it was yeah when I uh, yeah when my wife was uh, pregnant with our first uh, kind of, I felt a real itch to get back into having a hobby again so started painting painting models again because I think painting was always my my kind of favourite bit to be honest I enjoyed painting and uh, building models more than uh, playing I think um, and so yeah and, and at work I met Paul and kind of said oh I've been doing this and it was it was kind of like, oh I, I used to play that too and uh, oh, would you be tempted to get back into it so <laughs> again um, yeah I guess tempted tempted Paul back I think you just sold I think you just sold your tower army as well hadn't you? yeah yeah it was still boxed still the greyish pile of shame but it was a full army yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so then we kind of started again I think what was it seventh edition we I think we were the tail end of sixth and then we came into seventh properly yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I kind of played that, and yeah, kind of built the hobby up. And kind of, you know, competed with each other to paint, and and uh, kind of, yeah, best each other at that. And and then really, I guess with Cheeseboard, it it was um, or TMCB Studios as it's it's now known. Um, it was it was around lockdown, and and suddenly a lot of the things that did on an evening suddenly couldn't do and I, I really kind of sat around and it's kind of like well I really fancy making some some scenery um it's something I'd, I'd not done for years um and uh, I chatted to, to Paul about it and, and yeah, could talk 
back to your kind of history and, and making yeah. uh, scenery and, and and what you used to do it was kind of like oh well maybe we should we should start doing this just as a kind of um another outlet and it, it, i guess it grew from grew from there really didn't it yeah did yeah yeah excellent so yeah <laughs> yeah i'd say so sort of like how long now have you been you running um tmcb studios and sort of producing these you know bespoke terrain pieces and things for wargaming you know sort of for the tabletop i think um it was it was during lockdown so it'll be 2020 um we we probably started deciding we wanted to do something more with it than just for our hobby kind of us think you know shall we start putting some of this stuff out there on social media dare we put something out there on social media um do we want any backlash from that or are we just enjoying being just doing it as, as two friends but as i said there was always that kind of desire to to where we could be a bit more part of the community but also to, to make something that realistically you know we we love doing we know there's a lot of love out there for for, for gaming and not, we're not just talking games workshop we're talking all the other elements as well um and all the other games there's, there's so much more out there and i think you know, it's, it's something that we kind of like, it wanted to give a little bit more of a, a variation to what we were doing as well. Um, so that was probably in August. I think our first post on Facebook, um, because we actually set it as a date, I think it was like the first Saturday of October that year. So we, we kind of classed that as our first kind of, that was us starting, but we kind of started around about August time before that. So. Yeah, we spent, spent a lot of time kind of planning... <laughs> What we, what we wanted yeah. to do is so we can kind, of, uh, kind of set ourselves up to have regular um, weekly calls because again this was all during lockdown as well so we couldn't we couldn't even meet up could we no no or anything so it's no. like, what what do we want to do what types of things do we want to build um, you know and kind of what are we working on and then kind of working on things independently and, and kind of sharing sharing them and, and the kind of um, learning at the same time really because. Yeah. A lot of new materials we've kind of discovered and, and um, yeah, kind of techniques and things like that. We've kind of just kind of pushed each other along to to kind of develop that and I guess kind of get to where we are now in terms of um, some of the builds are quite complicated. Um, <laughs> when we started, it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. It was it was very much kind of from from my point of view, is it, it was an absolute beginner. Um, Really, well, so. I have to say, it seems to have been a big success for you. You know, <laughs> you talk about wanting to put stuff out there in the community, and you know, the whole reason why you know I sort of discovered you recently and wanted to you know get you on the show to talk with you was because of one particular high-profile piece that you've recently completed, um, and that was for those who have seen it, the uh, the tables worth of Demon World terrain for tabletop tactics of all places. And uh, yeah, it's some spectacular work. And I was really interested to know, you know, how did you end up sort of landing that commission? How did it end up being that, you know, you got in touch or they got in touch with you, presumably one way or the other. And uh, how did it all sort of kick off and come about? I, I think just kind of, um, it, it was really by chance. Um, I suppose we, we we kind of worked hard to try and get, get some attention and, and, and by putting things out there and trying to build that profile. Um, but it was an opportunity. We saw we saw that kind of advert, and it was like, "What do you think?" And I think we're both a bit I'm not sure about this. Do you think we can do it? And uh, it, it was very much a case of just go for it. And you know, 
you know, we we just went for it, and uh, you know, we were fortunate enough that you know, tabletop wanted you know wanted to go go with it, and and we, yeah, we we we, we weren't sure what we were going in with at first. Well, we had we had an idea, um, but uh, it was very much a learning experience for us as well. I was going to ask um, how much of a sort of like project brief was there or how much free reign did you have you know, did they say just make us anything or did they have something in mind that they wanted I, I think if I recall back to the communication I think it was, it was very much we don't really have a lot of time to kind of get involved with the direction of it or anything like that so here's a few things we've been thinking about um, and and yeah we like so, Paul said we we kind of suggested um, similar things, hadn't we? I, I think we took took a couple of maybe the um, broad broad ideas that they suggested, and, and then said, "Yeah, we can run with that and, and develop that further." Um, I'm trying. I think I think that's how it went. Probably looking through the emails now to see what <laughs> what was said. <laughs> <laughs> it was perhaps somewhat manifested from the warp itself over time. Yeah, it was, but but it was. I mean, it was purely. Um, it was left to us to kind of decide a lot of it. It, it was kind of yeah, we, yeah. We'd like you know, the demon world would be cool, and and then we said right, well, this is what we're thinking. Um, but again, it, yeah, there was no kind of oh, it, it, I think it, they, they wanted something with lights in. Uh, they wanted something that was going to be you know look look great and kind of you know bring um, elevate their <coughs> their, their table. Um, in terms of you know being being kind of a showstopper, um, but I think we went far beyond what the original brief was, um, just because that's in our nature. Um, often I'm kind of you know saying to Paul, "Come on, you know there's a budget here. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go too far." Um, yeah, but things like color, design, all that—it was kind of just left left to us, really. And, and it was kind of there's there's a lot of moments where we were doing it, going, "Do you think they'll like this? I hope they'll like this." Are we? Are we <laughs> is this the right direction? Because <laughs> it it was pretty much brief, uh, but very vague brief through to delivery, and they they kind of saw the progress on Instagram, uh, but we were putting that out there not for them as such, just just for ourselves. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like well, they seem to be liking it, so <laughs> you know that was that was good. So you know, it, was, it was really nice to see when we when we dropped it off that they were they were really wowed by it. So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it certainly seems from like you know the reveal video they did on the channel and stuff that you know they certainly seem blown away by it. You know, and that's just what they're preparing to sort of you know. Mm demonstrate to their audience so they've had a chance to plan that whereas i imagine the natural reaction to seeing it the first time for themselves um must have been you know great to see or hear about i don't know if yeah. you were there in person or if you mailed it down or what yeah it's, it's really good to kind of see you know the big smile on the face and you know they were kind of clearly all really excited about playing it and you know and kind of thinking about what they could use it for um you know, we're thinking, oh, yeah, it's demon, and actually, there's nothing that ties it into, um, you know, kind of a, a 40k setting either. So there's no reason you couldn't use it on, you know, uh, a kind of a Sigma Warhammer um, demon demon setup as well. So 
we kind of thought, you know, this is this is good. <laughs> they like it. Um, and I think we were again. There's a bit of nervous nervousness about it. So right, that, that you know, we've we've dropped it off, delivered it. We've said they're going to do this with it. Great. But there's there's that part of you. So are they just going to kind of slip it into a couple of videos and that's it? You know, there's always that kind of self doubt, and it's like, do they really like it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you know it's. Uh, it's great that they did that kind of bit, that, that, that particular feature on it as well. I think they really, um, you know, sold it and, and kind of really pushed it. And, you know, it was really uh, definitely uh, 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 kind of a, what's that, a magnum opus, really, in terms of what they've <laughs> done so far. Um, so, yeah, like, how did you feel, Paul, after seeing everything out there by Tabletop Tactics, after they've got it on the table and they've been playing on it, sort of, you know, seeing the finished product in their hands? It, it, to, to be honest with you, it was actually that there was a, a nice, as John said, there was the kind of worried, do they like it, don't they like it? And, uh, and even when we were down there chatting with, with Lawrence and the team, you know, so it's going to be a good two, three weeks before they put that uh, that video out that they were going to do on it. And, and you know, the two or three weeks came and went, we kind of go, oh, God, are they not going to? And then it came out, but it was really nice not having the the pieces because they were sat on my dining room table for, for months as they were the, the final touches. So not seeing it for a good three or four weeks, when you finally see it in a different setting on the on the tabletop, and all together as well with the miniatures on it, you kind of it was really nice to be able to see and go, yeah, it did work all together. It, it you know it did fit together because I think that was always one of the issues we had, wasn't it, John? As a table, does it work? Does it work as the narrative it's trying to tell? But also, is it going to be playable? Because I know we've had a few comments before and other other pieces we've done which are kind of going. Oh, but this isn't playable, which always kind of frustrates us because at heart, both John and I are, are gamers, so we want the scenery to be playable on and tell a story yeah. and be immersive. So it's always one of our first thoughts in there. So it was nice for them to be able to prove that it was playable on. And uh, after me, there was that kind of proud moment because I think I saw it just before you, John, I texted you and they've got the video, you've got to look, you've got to look, it looks amazing. So it was, it was such a... It was such a lovely... As I said, it's almost at that point, mic drop, walk away. We've done all we need to do now. We've done it. <laughs> walk away, so... Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh... <laughs> the, yeah I guess, actually, yeah, talking about kind of playability, that, that is, that's one thing that was in the brief, was... Um, I think, was it, was it uh, the Grand Tournament rules and things like that yeah, as well? Yeah, so, so, you know, we kind of like, right, what, what does it need to be? So we kind of had to work out, you know, that to be kind of what uh four four large pieces with four medium and then it's two medium and four small yeah four small so uh, i guess i guess we had that as part of the brief so we kind of went out and worked out right we need some big ones <laughs> right you know they can be the showstoppers and then you know but we need also some some smaller pieces to go around it so i think that i think that helped us as well because a lot of what we've done previously and, and a lot of the Things we make kind of stand alone, um, kind of not diorama, but you know, there were standalone pieces. Um, we'd not kind of built lots of different pieces that had to, had to come together, you know, as one one board. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think it's that there. I mean, I think we gave them roughly, I think, 15 pieces, although it was supposed to be 10. Um, but we gave them a 15 one because we had the ideas and we had the extra things to do but we also thought as well is that one as, as a kind of a bit of a, a showcase for, for you know let's be honest what, what we're able to do and I'd, I'd actually say that we've improved from them as well actually you know we, we've, we've, now we've been able to do that it's given us a bit more confidence to try even more challenging things but 
we wanted it so that they'd be able to put the setup multiple times with, with different things in it so it's not always going to be the same um, setup and they, then they have option uh, and, and there's nothing worse than having a great table but it's the same great table every time you want a little bit of variety in there so we gave them a few more to, uh, to, to increase that and uh, also I think we enjoyed the process of making them and, and coming out with new ideas for it because we originally we drew all the pieces we had them all drawn out uh, the full 10 pieces uh, and then we we literally just we just went to town and started making them and that that was sounds yeah. simple but that that's literally what it was really wasn't it john it was just yeah what we need to make let's get on with them absolutely so, i think what what helped uh, 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 i know you've you were gonna ask the question or you've asked the question about kind of what what was the the process uh, i guess um really starting with the um the initial designs and that was something we both we both inputted into um but i'll you know i'll hold my hands up and say that you know paul is is the the brains behind the uh the kind of the the, the concept designs um you know paul did a kind of the original sketches we kind of talked about things we came up with ideas and but then yeah, paul drew them up and it was it was very much kind of like wow those look amazing that's what we're going to make and even some of those were i think with the portal um i kind mm-hmm. of looked at it, i was like how the hell are we going to make that <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks great but how are you going to make that that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so some of them were definitely more challenging than others i think the, the, the demon kind of that that was kind of yeah right okay yeah, we can do that um i think for me yeah, the uh, the portal. Looking at that was definitely a. That's that's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the only one I've ever made. Yeah, a, a mock-up for. I actually did a, a maquette with the first out of cardboard to see if we can actually get the curve properly and, and how it worked round. Whereas usually, you know, well, obviously John knows for me, I'm, I'm quite quite not cowboyish but i yeah slap that yeah thank you um you know a lot of my uh like education was was art and sculpture etc so i'm i'm quite confident to just be able to get on with stuff without necessarily thinking how i'm going to do it but that was the first one as as john said you kind of look and go yeah it looks good how the hell am i going to get that spiral in there and actually work it with the materials we've got so it, it was that, I think that was the most difficult one to do, but actually was probably the quickest one I did because I just it was so challenging. It was quite fun to 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 kind of play with and try and get those shapes out of it, out of uh, PVC foam board. There's a bit of uh, XPS in there. Um, used various different bits of plaster, etc. In there, and then obviously the, the infinity mirror. Uh, whereas the, the one, obviously Steve, the one that everyone talks about, that was we we, we, we sculpted the the face uh, out of monster clay. John did a really good job of creating a mold out of it, um, and the reason we got the mold was so that we could do multiple different materials out of it to give that kind of the the rocky out outside, which was breaking away while the actual face was coming through. So we were able to duplicate that without having to make multiple um, faces of it and try and get them right. So that was that for me was 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 a lot easier because that's for me just the kind of sculpting side of stuff, and it was moderately simple in that. Whereas Certainly, some of the other stuff, and, and I'll, I'll hand over to John for this because uh, electricity is not my friend. So he he, he deals with all all the, the yeah. fun side of lights and etc. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, the, the the lighting, and again, I think we've certainly kind of had to learn and push ourselves because we we kind of use some simple LEDs, but uh, 
for for some of these we were putting kind of more LEDs and, and, and kind of discovering oh there's there's uh, there's micro LEDs oh there's nano LEDs and and it was kind of you know we were definitely on a journey of discovery yeah. with some of the electronics and uh, there's things we kind of learnt along the way where we we're now looking oh we'd uh, we'd do that different uh, definitely uh, and and better um, and kind of thinking on on to kind of future builds you know we want to kind of look at incorporating kind of digital LEDs and, and kind of getting into to that side of it but again you know we, we didn't do it on this one but um yeah opportunities for the, for the future um i think that's a really important takeaway though especially for anybody who's thinking about wanting to try their hand at this themselves because like you've sort of expressed there for you guys this was still very much a big next step a sort of experimental yeah, yeah, yeah. leap you know you, you were sort of making it up as you were going along but you know using you know your sort of skills to bring it together into its final form to be something which if you hadn't have known that would have looked like something that's just done to a very high professional standard and like you would have assumed that this is the sort of thing you've done lots and lots and lots of mm -hmm. before and hence why it's so good quality but actually it's just a testament to your sort of you know innate skill or what you do that you can take something and just run with it and anyone can kind of do that um it's just having that confidence and being willing to experiment and try things out isn't it yeah absolutely uh, yeah yeah no re really appreciate it as well i think it i think it is it's having that confidence well, obviously we've been doing it for what like a year and a half before we started doing that we started last i think we finally started last october last november to do this for tabletop taxes we were doing other stuff at the, at the same time as well so it was fitting it in but because we'd had a year or so of you know, as John said, it's kind of learning these materials, learning what we can do with them. But you, you, you do get to a point where you get to a certain confidence where, well, I reckon I could do this with this if it was two millimeter rather than five millimeter. It gives you that kind of, let's give it a go. And, and I think we, we kind of went into this, as we said, with a bit of nerves of will they like it? Can we pull it off? But I think as we were building it at each point, I don't think there was many, oh God, we're going to have to, we're literally going to have to throw this away and start again you know it was <laughs> it was quite nice to be able to have that freedom to play with it but also as you said having the confidence in the materials and knowing what you can do with them but then pushing that a little bit yeah um i, I think we both enjoy that challenge if we were making the same things day in day out uh, with the same level i think both myself and john would be we'd probably get bored with it we always want to get to <laughs> that next step where we're pushing ourselves to kind of go are we pushing ourselves too far and i think if we don't say that on our next build, then we're not pushing ourselves far enough. Yeah, um, because yeah. it is about trying to, you know, gain gain a, a level of skill in it. You know, that's that's our enjoyment, the challenge of it. Yeah, uh, but also putting something out there that is unlike anything else out there, uh, but also hopefully gives either inspiration or or gives some kind of certainly if you're gaming or that immersive feel of, of being in there because there's nothing I personally find better than. You know that bit when you're you're playing in the middle of a game and you get down to you know their height to to check line of sight etc. And and you you suddenly have that momentary childhood imagination of feeling like you're in it. And the better it looks, the easier that part is. Uh, and that's the part I really enjoy. From it, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, completely agree with that. I think um, yeah, definitely. That's the bit that. And I, I certainly enjoy the most is, is the learning, um, yeah. and, it, and it is just constantly trying to 
learn new things. I mean, we, I'm just I think when we started, kind of first couple of our first build, I just used kind of what I had and what I knew, you know, foam board and things like that. I, I, I don't think I've touched foam board for years now. It's kind of like I wouldn't, I, would, I, would, I just wouldn't use it. Or if I did, it'd be, it'd have to be quite a specific reason because we've discovered so many better materials and, and better ways of doing things. Um, well, I know one one in particular that I wanted to ask about was all the sort of like tall standing ivory bones and like tusks and horns and stuff that are festooned across the various Demon World terrain pieces you yeah. did. Because seeing the finished products like in the battle reports and stuff, they look like almost like real ivory horns do you know what i mean whereas i know it's it's not it's something you've made for you know wargaming purposes but i was mm -hmm. curious yeah what you what material you used to make it and how you went about painting it to get that level of you know uh finish to it yeah i, I mean we did a very funny enough the kind of one youtube video we've done so far i did a quick tutorial on how to to make the horns because there was there seemed to be a lot of interest in it and um, it, for me they're kind of one of the easier bits but it, <laughs> it used XPS foam um, and it, again it's something that kind of more I've used it in, in different ways it's kind of like you know I can I can actually I can do more with this than just cut it and make bricks you can you can shape it and um, essentially they're, they're, they're XPS foam um, cut, cut to a rough shape. Um, you can do it with a knife, a sharp knife, or, or a hot wire cutter, and then um, sanded, effectively kind of rough sanded and smooth sanded down to a you know, to a very smooth finish. And you can, you know, you can make really you know pointed horns with them, uh, and they turned out really well. It was like, wow, you know, this is this has worked. Because <laughs> again, at the time, it was like, right, how are we going to make these? Do I make them out of foil? Uh, kind of armatures, and then and then you know coat them in something and sand them back from plaster, or do, you know do try to make it out of um, monster clay, and then and then do kind of a, a silicone mold and make resin casts of it. Yeah, you, know, you know, there's different ways of doing it, and and it just so happened that kind of initial way of doing it worked. <laughs> it was like, oh, this this is great. <laughs> so yeah, made a lot of those and various different ones. Uh, the the big, the big ones on the the witness uh, or Steve, as he shall now be known, um, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're XPS and then kind of coated with. Um, I think I put a fine, um, a fine kind of coating of, of kind of filler on them just to, to kind of harden them a bit, um, and then really the the kind of bone effect that that's down to that's testament to Paul's uh, airbrushing skills that he, he painted those. So I think uh, they look great. Yeah, the, the varnish helped. The varnish definitely helped to the end of it. There was parts where I'm kind of going, no, I don't know if these are working. The moment we put that varnish on it, it just gave that lovely sheen that made it feel. And, and the way it settled was, it wasn't all shiny. There were parts which were slightly dimpled, and it, it it worked well, which was not... I'd love to say it was intentional. Um, it was not. It's just how the, how the uh, varnish set on it. Uh, it's like, oh, that looks great. Let's leave it like that. So yeah. The, um, the sm smaller horns decided to do few of those and I actually I, I did cast those so I've got the I've got the mold for a lot of the smaller ones um, some of the kind of teeth and smaller horns so I thought actually these are something we can try and tie the whole uh, 
thing together with by kind of scattering them throughout. And I thought, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not <laughs> making 50 of these things. So, you know, the big ones, there was four, I think it was five or six of those. So, so, so yeah, five or six, yeah. Hand, handmade. Um, and then the small ones handmade, but then, then uh, did resin casts of them. So, uh, again, kind of pulling back on, we've been playing around with learning how to do kind of, you know, make silicone molds and, and use resin and, and that kind of paid dividends in, in producing those. Um, and again, we've kind of got the basics. So if we need to replicate parts of it, um, we can. So, um, you know, there's a thought actually at some point, do we, do we kind of put a, you know, open up a web store and, you know, potentially sell resin horns, people who want to make their own scenery and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think, I guess those things are still the pipeline, but We've got the molds, and we've got we've still got the mold for the face as well, haven't we? In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The box behind me, so and the um, the teeth as well that sat inside the um, it's kind of I think was it gaping more? So it's like a, do you know what I can't remember what it was called now? Like a break <laughs> in the earth with some some teeth kind of showing through. I, I made I sculpted those and then cast those, so uh, it'd be a bit hardier. In hindsight, would I have done that again? Probably not. I'd have done it. A different way because it took quite a long time to do them the way I did them. Um, like I say it's uh, kind of live and learn. Uh, the tongue as well, actually that that was that was sculpted. He did that. You sculpted that from clay, and we we cast that and yeah. we made that out of resin. So the, the tongue's made out of resin. Um, so we'd have something kind of a strong material, and then uh, that that kind of worked really well. And then um, the last piece that I wanted to ask about was simply the the origin of the mechanical eye. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take responsibility for that, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I, you're I, I'll I, take responsibility. I, I yeah. thought you were crazy when you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we, we, yeah, it was. It was. We, we kind of we we discussed it. We discussed having an eye, you know, breaking through the ground and and then just looking up there and uh for the witness because the, the witness was uh, probably about the third one we drew up i think actually third or fourth one we drew up uh, we did some of the smaller ones and that was probably one of the probably the first or second one we drew up for the uh for the main large piece in there and it was like yeah let's have an eye in there and i go we need to have it opening we need to have it opening and moving and it's like how the hell do we do that and i'm kind of going i don't know but we need to have it open we should be able to sort out how to get that and work it mechanically where you know <laughs> We've done other stuff. We should be able to. And uh, as John said, there it was a bit like kind of going, "Yeah, well, go on then," because <laughs> um, it was, you know, we, we've worked with now with with LEDs, uh, and it, you know, we we want to get to the point where we have more interactive parts um, in our builds, but we want those interactive parts to be relevant to what we're doing, not just to because we can. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of those things where it's kind of going, "Yeah, it'd be really good if they're iron." Then so we managed to. I found a. Uh, a Halloween a doorbell um, wasn't too expensive uh, and I thought we'll just get it. let's have a look at how it works and we may be able to copy it and we've at least got the mechanics in there uh, so it was taking that apart and realizing that it, I was way out of my depth uh, my father who used to be an electrician and then worked for IBM back in the days before he retired uh, had a look at it and went oh we can do this that he changed the LED in, in it for us so um, and then we, we kind of cut the the outer box down in it so that we had less depth and we could we could then put it into the scenery with a little bit more ease but then you kind of go in yeah but it's a button push so we then had to add a, a motion sensor to it 
which took us a while to actually work out the motion sensor was every 10 seconds and you had to be still for 10 seconds. Because the amount of times we thought we were not batteries, you know, working, is it not doing anything there? Uh, the worst thing was, was putting it all in the sea, embedding it, because once you build it in, it ain't yeah, that's it. It stuck there. Then it stuck there. But so, uh, yeah. we 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 took the eye out because the eye was very simply mass produced and painted. It's like how can we make this look a little bit better? So it was I took the eye out, redrew the eye in it, into it, and then just went to town on it with a Dremel and, and a picture on Google about what eyes look like really close. Try and get some of the formation in there use some UV resin over the top to give it the kind of uh, the, the slight ellipse that the uh, that the eye actually has and then varnished all of it and then handed it to John for the fact that I think I broke the wiring as well after doing that so you had to fix all that uh, and then then the witness was the rest of it was all yours putting the actual eyelid on it and making them look real because it was a plastic eyelid that was that was John and um, he, he he made the witness amazing I, you know I still look at that kind of going that's still my favorite piece even over Steve, uh, Steve the slobbering demon. So, you know, it's like, uh, you know. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think the eyelids as well, because, again, it was kind of like, let's put it in, let's, you know, let's, let's build the um, build the witness and kind of build the rocks around it. Now I'm looking at it and it's like, it needs eyelids. Like, it can't, you know, <laughs> it need to make it even better. And so it was then trying to find, well, how can it move? So how can I... What can I use to to produce something that looks like skin, or that's going to move like skin, but I can paint it? Um, so I think I use green stuff to make kind of the edge of the eyelid, and then I actually found a uh, kind of a lightweight material that I had. Um, I think it was from like an old kids, um, no, it was kids play tube, uh, play kind of tunnels that my kids had ripped years ago, and I was like, oh, I'll have that just in case I need that material. Um, so I, I kind of used that and. Uh, Again, I think if I did it against certain glues and things, I would use different different ones that, that are potentially a bit hardier. But uh, it worked really well. It just it just looked yeah, it looked really good. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people see see some of the detail in it either because um, you know, kind of see see it from far behind and then it's behind a kind of a cracked rock surface. So you don't really see unless you're looking in, into it. You can't really see the detail, but. Uh, I know it's there, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's often what we do. We we kind of do things and think, is anybody going to know about this? Yeah, it's like, yeah. a, um, it's like a windmill, um, and I kind of built it so it all opens up. And I even made the millstone, like a little millstone inside the kind of uh, the, the the kind of mill millstone vessel. But then I closed it up and sealed it up, and I'm like, well, I know it's in there. <laughs> I know it's like a real <laughs> millstone. <laughs> You, you also added to that as well, actually, when the, when the windmill turns around, it actually turns a cog, which turns the other cog, which are, yeah. are realistic to what would be there, then would move the grinding stone. And it's like, no, because we've, we've never filmed it, so it's, it, you've only ever seen stills of it, so you don't know that all that moves. But I think that's, as you said there, John, that's one of the things that we really like, is that for us, actually, the little details, we'd love everyone to see them, but they're the bits that we really enjoy putting in there, those little details, because it gives us that kind of almost craftsman satisfaction and gets in a really kind of facetious way of putting itself. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would call it a, a, a mark of quality. Yeah. I like to sound like that. That sounds no, better. Stop, I think that's that's the thing. It, it, it sometimes, um, you know, if it, if it was a commission and, and you know, you've, you've budgeted for it, it, it's knowing when to stop. And I think with the one we did for Tabletop, it, it, 
it was like, should we do this? Should we do that? It's like, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's throw throw that in. Why not? Because it, you know we wanted it to be we wanted it to be extra special. Um, and again, you know, it was just fun. I mean, we still there were some things we looked at, which I think at one point I was looking at some some of this paint, which um, I found. Uh, I think it contains a contains a living organism and it, and it changes yeah, yeah, yeah. it gives like an iridescent finish and i was like this would be really cool to paint the uh the, the metal with that instead and but I, it, I think it was like 20 pounds for for about 15 mil or something <laughs> so yeah. people like to paint the whole thing we just we had to spend like you know 150 quid on paint and it's like no, no we can't do this but and you also had to keep it in the fridge didn't you as well i think <laughs> Yes, you have to keep it in the fridge before you used it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it'd be fun though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was good though, it was nice. I would like to use it. I I think that's sometimes you see materials and, and, uh, yeah, bits of electronics and things, and you think, actually, that'd be really cool to make something around that. Um, And sometimes that that kind of inspires the idea, you know, that's where the idea comes from, Um, working backwards from, from some interesting material. Well, I think it's fair to say that the end result is spectacular and, you know, everybody, you know, is getting to enjoy it now and see your work, you know, uh, for what it is. Because, like you say, well, all of it is great. All the sort of stuff that you put together for that Demon World for tabletop looks amazing. And I do think things like the mechanical eye and those little extra touches that you really pride yourselves on, they really are that last little finishing touch that just takes it that one step up and really shows it's a craftsman's art not just a production piece do you know what i mean yeah well, i appreciate that it's really kind <laughs> so um i mean i hope we get to see possibly some more projects from yourselves in the future possibly maybe some more stuff for tabletop tactics i don't know um i'm sure chef would be uh remiss if he didn't get a chance to have an exodite exactly. <laughs> we'll <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I say, I, I will be looking forward to anything that does uh, come out from uh, TMCB Studios in the future. And uh, before we sort of you know say goodbye to you for today, do you want to let people know where they can find you then and see sort of stuff and uh, the kind of pieces that you're working on at any given time? Yeah, I'm gonna let you do that, John. Do you, do you know, yeah, I can say so. Um, so you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, so that's TMCB underscore studios. Yep. And then <laughs> struggling to remember. And then we're on <laughs> Facebook group as well, I'm, I'm, uh, which again is, is TMCB uh, studios. Um, there's also we <laughs> we have a YouTube channel, but I think we've got one video on there, and that's that, that's where we think that's what we want to start kind of doing next is is actually trying to get some videos out there on kind of how to make make things and then. Um, that's that's where yeah that that's that, I think that's where we think our future is is going to be yeah. um, in trying to get videos out on YouTube. Um, we do also have a website which I believe is functional at the moment, so that's got a lot of our old uh, older stuff on there and, and a lot kind of more detailed photographs as well. Um, so that's uh, I think that's that is um, tmcbstudios.co.uk I believe. No, that's the one we're in the middle of, uh, of moving across to that. So that's the one that we've still got up at the moment, which has all our back stuff on. Uh, it's we're still we're having a few issues with the website yeah. <laughs> since the name change. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, it's been a, it's been a pain. It's been a pain, but uh, we, we've got some good people supporting us with it and trying to trying to get that out. Our it's not our forte, uh, John and I. Is it? We, we try to keep more to the the building stuff, but uh, that's what it is. But as, as you know, as John said, there it's we we, we want to be part of add more back to the community and. And one of the great things we, we kind of want to try and spread really is that as we've tried to explain with, with how we're doing this, oh, some of it is excessive, some of it is, I wouldn't even say expert, but it, it's looking at it and it, it's been able to make some of these things and actually they're relatively easy to make if if you can be confident enough with the material. So it's trying to break down the fact that, you know, you don't have to be a master diorama builder to be able to make some of these things. It's, it's actually relatively easy as, as long as you, you know, you, you know the material to use and how to how to play with that material uh so that's where we are trying to move more into the kind of uh, youtube area as well just to get some videos out there and, and try to get a little bit more as i said share, share the love a little bit of kind of you know uh, you know it, it's really nice when you actually see something that you kind of go oh that's amazing i'd love to do something like that that's that's it's quite inspiring to have that and there is loads of really really good you know artists and scenery builders out there and it's something we just want to kind of add that you know that people don't have to think that that's that's out of their reach it really is in, in everyone's reach i think it's just a little bit of determination understanding the material and a little bit of imagination and you know you can you can move mountains with it really literally scenery mountains obviously make mountains, yeah. you can make mountains make mountains and, and dales and hills and all that kind of stuff yeah so that's kind of where we we, we want we want to kind of we're kind of looking in there and that's why we've been a little bit quiet probably over the last few weeks is, is trying to get that up to a point where we're happy with the standard of it um, we don't want to put anything out that's that's subpar um, we, we don't think it, it benefits us and and as you as we've kind of talked on there we, we like those little flourishes and touches that, that kind of make it a little bit different so it's it's a bit of a building situation at the moment for us to get to that point but uh, it will be coming soon and we'll be getting more things out again so that's where we are well, I for one will look forward to following along with your okay. adventures and seeing where it takes you because I would like to try my hand at some of this myself, I think, and I'm sure a good number of our listeners will probably be interested to follow along as well. So I hope so. Yeah, great. So yeah, uh, so look out for TNCB Studios on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, here, there, everywhere. It sounds like you're going to be <laughs> uh, growing and building and expanding. With hope so, hope so. <laughs> It's a, it's a fun thing when we both love doing it. So it's uh, you know it's it's nice when you get that kind of feedback that people are enjoying it as well, and we we're giving something back to to a community we we kind of love and are part of really. So perfect. Well, uh, thank you both for coming and joining me for this uh, this part of the show tonight. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. It really has been. It's been having us. Yeah, and I, I hope to talk to you both again in the future at some point. Indeed, and I think we've definitely got to still go sort out a game as well. Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> I'll definitely have to happen. But uh, from building demon worlds to building demon armies, we'll be moving on now to the next part of the show tonight, which is going to be Chaos Demons on Crusade. Demons of Chaos on Crusade.
and welcome back guys so i hope you enjoyed that interview with john and paul there and uh i wanted to say you know a big thank you again to them you know letting me reach out and uh ask them lots of questions about how they went about creating a demon world and what it was like because it was i was definitely fascinated to find out once i uh I realized I had a chance to talk to them and it was a great conversation. So I hope you guys learned a lot as well. And uh, yeah, so as I alluded to, from building demon worlds to building demon armies, we're now looking at the Chaos Demons on Crusade rules. And uh, it's fair to say, it's a great old game, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, the, the great game begins. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, you know, really, really flavorsome. Uh, this this um, set of crusade rules. I mean, you'd probably sit there. I mean, I know that when um, the book was coming out, I, I I sat there thinking, well, what are they going to do with crusade rules for an army that just appears from the warp, tries to kill everything, and then disappears? You know, it's it didn't seem like there was a a particular um, strong way in which they could get the the army to kind of develop and and change over time. But I think they've done a really really good job, sort of building into the into the four gods and, uh, you know, the, the way that they sort of interact with one another. Yeah, they have. So the sort of, like, the racial um, aspect of the Crusade rules is the great game and the ascendancy points earned by each of the four gods. So there is a bunch of, you know, um, like agendas and relics and battle traits and stuff, which we will get on to later. But, yeah, the, um, the great game... It's basically it's sort of like um, a mini <laughs> league uh, yeah. being played by the um, the chaos gods um, as you play your games. So um, the great game consists of rounds, and each round is eight games of uh, you know crusade games. So every eighth game, you'll have concluded one round of the great game. And at the start of each round, the four gods um, start in four positions: uh, first, second, third, and fourth in ascendancy. Um, when you start out in your very first round of the great game, um, it starts with corn uh, in first position with four ascendancy points. So the more you have, the better. Uh, Zinch with three, Nurgle with two, and Sunesh with one. Um, interestingly, in progressive rounds, you actually um, maintain the positions from what they were at the end of the previous round. Yeah. It's just that you reset the points for each of those positions back to four, three, two, and one. Um, so, as you play games in your um, round of the great game, uh, so <laughs> I'm going to be saying game a lot, I feel like, in this segment. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for each Crusade game of 40k that you play, you will gain um, or lose ascendancy points. Actually, I don't think you lose them any point. I think you just, yeah, you just gain ascendancy points for yeah. the various gods. Now, one of the interesting things with this is that you don't have to be playing all four gods for all four of them to be involved. In fact, yeah. you can play a mono-faction army, but the chaos gods still all exist and they're still all doing stuff elsewhere in the warp and, you know, competing for ascendancy. So just because your army might be a corn crusade force doesn't mean you aren't still trying to compete against the greater forces of Zinch, Nurgle, and Sinesh for Khorne's general ascendancy at that time within the Pantheon. Um, so yeah, basically, at the end of each battle, each god randomly gains D3 ascendancy points. So that creates a natural uh, ebb and flow to all four gods. 
Yeah. Um, on top of that, the way that you then sort of try to direct it and influence the ascendancy is that at the end of each battle, um, whichever god your warlord was aligned to gains one additional ascendancy point or the three extra ascendancy points if you won the game. Yep. So you're sort of like championing your god with your warlord choice. Uh, but interestingly, because of the way that the crusade rules work, you don't have to have the same model be the warlord in every single game. Yeah. So if you are playing a mixed chaos army, and say you've got Nurgle and Khorne, um, one game you might have your um, Bloodmaster be your warlord, and another game you might have your... Um, Sloppity Bile uh, Piper. Yeah, Sloppity Bile Piper. Yeah. I've just always wanted to say that on a podcast. um so yeah looks like there's an interesting point here that if you've got multiple aligned characters you could have uh your choice of which one is going to be your warlord for your crusade yeah yeah um just because especially since warlords and warlord traits work a little differently in crusade to normal games um which is a really interesting point actually for chaos demons in crusade games uh one of the unique dynamics that this opens up for you is that Crusade games give demon players the opportunity to have multiple warlord traits on their characters, yeah. which is not a thing in the standard match play rules yeah, because the codex does not have a war an extra warlord trait stratagem available yep. to it. Yep. Yep. Just take um, one. Yeah. So in, your, in normal games, you, you're limited to your one that you get. Whereas with the general rules of Crusade, because every character can gain a warlord trait when they rank up prerequisition points, yeah. this is the one time and the one format where you could have multiple Warlord traits in play. And there's some really fun stuff you can do in that demon book if you're actually able to take multiple Warlord traits across your characters. So uh, bear that in mind. Um, but then finally, the sort of last aspect of the rankings for the Ascendancy in the great game is that uh, gods don't share positions. So if ever um, gaining points for one god brings them to have an equal total to another god, the one who just made it up to that rank gains an additional point so that yeah. they step over yeah. their rival. Yeah, because you always gain the ascendancy points in the same order, don't you? You always allocate them in the order of Korn, Zinch, Nurgle and Sladesh. So then if you do your yeah. D3 and one catches up with another, it will then overtake it. So yeah, which is funny when if there's no pot, you know, no gaps in the points, you could have Sanesh who ties with Nurgle to then gain one more point, but then now they're tying with Zinch, so yeah, they gain one more point, yeah, and then now they're tying with Corn, so now they gain one more point, and, and they're at the Sinesh top of the table, win. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny how even if you play a mono faction crusade force, all four gods are still going to be competing for those rankings, and it's yeah. Not entirely just going to automatically go to your god of choice so what do we actually gain from the positions and the ascendancy of the gods as we play well essentially we have uh, some minor bonuses that are in effect um during rounds of the great game uh for first second and third uh, they're basically the same sort of thing but degrading a little bit depending on rank so if your god is in ascendancy, then while you play games of the great game, add one to the leadership characteristic of models in your legion's demonica units from your army that have that allegiance keyword 
um, of the first ranked god. And once per battle, you can use an epic deed stratagem for zero CP if the unit selected for the stratagem shares an alliance keyword with that dark god. So if corn's in charge, once per game, you can do an epic deed for zero CP for a corn champion, like for a corn character. Yep. I can't remember exactly what, what they are in terms of the, the stratagems. Um, in the case of corn, I think the key one is the uh, glorious decapitation. The one it is, yeah, the one where you, you, you create a, an aura, don't you, of um, wound rolls of six inflict mortal wounds. If, I yep. think that's the one, isn't it? Yeah, which is pretty so awesome. If to, yeah, if you get to do that for free, simply because corn is currently in ascendance. Yeah, it's a 2CP <laughs> stratagem as well, so... Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then whoever's in second position, their demons get plus one leadership. And uh, once per battle, if your warlord shares an alliance keyword with that god, you can use the command reroll stratagem for zero CP. Um, so it's sort of slightly less powerful, as it were, free stratagem, but still a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, then third position you do not get any particular bonuses or negatives and if you're actually in the fourth position god if things are not going well and you have a bit of jealousy yeah you have bitter jealousy which instead means you subtract one from the leadership characteristic of all models in your demon army that share that allegiance but also each time a model in a legion demonica unit from your army that shares that god's allegiance makes an attack against an enemy unit that shares an allegiance keyword with one of the uh, other dark gods in first, second, or third position, you can re-roll the hit roll. Yeah. So you you might be Which, rubbish against most, but against other demon armies, uh, all of a sudden that's pretty good. Based on the wording, I don't think it's limited to enemy demon units. It's just right. enemy units that ha share the allegiance keyword. Ah, so, yeah, I've not, I've not example, read that. Enemy, yes, not read that closely enemy enough. Enemy corn units, which could be corn berserkers or mortal followers. Yes, ah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Let's see. I, I, I think um, the range of chaos crusade rules are always great for playing um, multi chaos faction. Crusades uh, between yeah. the players, like yeah, there's there's I, some I nice interactions, isn't there? Mm. Um, so that's the the first half of the rewards. That's like the passive effects that you get in games you're playing as you play. Then the real payoff is that after every eight games you've played, and therefore you've concluded a round of the great game, uh, you basically get to hand out some rewards to your particular. Uh, Greater demons, uh, more so than anything, I think it is. Yeah, you get, you get XP and bonuses for greater demons. Yeah. Um, based on rank and position. So, if at the end of a round of the great game, your uh, god is in first position, then every unit on your order of battle that shares an allegiance keyword with that, that god gains free experience points. Which is quite a bit to say that that's every corn unit or every yep. Sodesh unit, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, especially if it's a mono faction army. Especially in mono faction, yeah. Yep. But then the second part is that you can select one greater demon model on your order of battle that shares an allegiance keyword with that dark god. That uh, model gains either 
one exalted reward, greater reward, or lesser reward, which is something we'll get to in a minute. Um, and then essentially uh, it degrades based on rank. So the second rank god, it's 2 XP for every one of their units, and their greater demon can select a greater or lesser reward. And the third rank position, all their units gain 1 experience, and a greater demon of their choice can gain 1 lesser reward. Now, the fun thing with this one for multi-god armies is this isn't tied to your warlord. So if you've got a Khorne and Nurgle army, and they finish in first and second position, then all your corn units gain 3 XP, yep. all your Nurgle units gain 2 XP, and you could have a corn Greater Demon gain a Exalted Greater or Lesser Reward, and you could have a Nurgle Demon gain a Greater or Lesser Reward. Yep. Yeah, so after 8 battles, you... your army can suddenly jump up quite significantly, can't it? Yeah, it's sort of like that... Um, it's that... Uh, peak of um, the like the zenith fall of the flux of power yeah you know, in the ta in the warp at that time unless of course you are in fourth position in which yeah. case you get nothing yeah, there are no rewards for failure <laughs> you lose good sir yeah <laughs> um and yeah and then it all starts again so you um you reset the ascendancy points to four three two and one but you keep the positions of the gods as they were at the end of the previous round now, that in itself is the admin portion of the Crusade Rules for Demons. Like, that's it. It's every eight games, you get a passive ability throughout them and, like, yeah. a reward at the end based on rank and allegiance. Then we will go through what some of these rewards are and the sort of things that you actually kind of get out of this. So, um, there are... Three tables of rewards for the greater demons. Um, so these being lesser, greater, and exalted rewards. There's three of each, um, but I've got a couple of examples uh, to pull out from each of them. So uh, we'll we'll start with the lesser rewards and work up because you'll yep. sort of see the the creep <laughs> between them. Um, so one of our lesser rewards is Avatar of Unreality. Uh, each time you make a warp storm roll, uh, if this model is on the battlefield, roll one additional d6, which is really nice. Yep, useful. Yep, um, being able to push your averages from sort of like, you know, three to four warp stun points to maybe four to five being your well, average is pretty good. Five is the key one, isn't it? Because five's the yeah. one, five's how many you need to be able to regenerate uh, models and wounds at the end of the morale phase. Um, so, you know, if you get five, then I think you're pretty much always thinking about how you're going to use it for that. Um, eight dice normally, chances are you probably won't get five four-ups statistically, so an extra dice... Might, might make a big difference. It will make a big difference, yeah. Um, and then equally, uh, we another option is Empheric Beacon, which is simply this model games the Warp Locus keyword. Oh, this is so good. This is so good yeah. for demons. So, so it's worth bearing in mind that all these particular gifts, these are exclusive to greater demons because this is the reward at the end of the round, which is only yep. ever given to a greater demon. This is one of the lesser rewards, but it is greater demon locked so still getting warp locus on a non-named you know bloodthirster or great unclean one or whatever is pretty great yeah and speaking of great we then have the greater rewards um so one of the examples here we have the infernal mark 
Um, so this is basically makes you a bit better at doing psychic stuff. Uh, so if this model is Zinch, Nurgle, or Sunesh, it knows one additional psychic power uh, from any discipline it has access to. Uh, if it's a core model, instead it gets plus one strength. Yep. And if this model is Zinch, Nurgle, or Sunesh, once per battle, after successfully manifesting a psychic power, this model can heal D3 lost wounds. Um, and in the case of core model, it's once per battle, if they destroy an enemy character model, they can regain D3 lost yep. wounds. I don't know if that's not quite as easy with corn, but certainly for for the other three gods, manifesting a psychic power and getting D three lost wounds back's a, a pretty decent one. I mean what's nice about it is it's you choose when. It's not yes. like the first time they yeah. uh, they manifest a psychic power. It's just you've got it in your back pocket when you feel like you need it. Um and that's great. I mean um knowing additional power as well, just sort of adding to that, you know, range of options that you've got to play with. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, another good example is the Crown of Conquests. Once per battle, if this model is on the battlefield, you can use one battle tactics or strategic ploy stratagem twice during the same phase instead of only once. Yeah, that's now, really good. That is really good, especially in the case of a mono-god list where yeah. chances are you've only probably got one of each of those mm. to use without dipping into the core stratagems. Because if you play Mono God, you probably only got like six stratagems to get yeah. from. So being able to do one of them twice per phase, pretty good. Um, yeah. If I think of Corn, I think is their battle tactic the one where you can um, move in the assault phase. Um, uh, the, yeah, the frenetic bloodlust. Yeah, the frenetic like, bloodlust. Uh, yeah, I think that, yeah. So if you could do that with two, because obviously you can use it in your opponent's fight phase. So you can obviously move two. Corn units up uh, six inches closer in their turn, ready for a you know for a shot in the next turn. The the really funny thing is that um, technically, because it's rarely the case that stratagems can be used twice per phase, um, it doesn't specify you couldn't do it twice on the same unit. Well, that is true. So you can move you, <laughs> you can move a unit inches. of the to twelve inches. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I actually, um, you can use it on um, Blood Crushers because they also have the Blood Letters keyword, don't they? You can. So, yeah, so that, that's again. that's what twenty inches. If you did it, I can't remember how far um, they move, but they move pretty. They move a bit quicker now, don't they, than they did in the Eighth Edition? If I remember correctly. Uh, I think the, I think the stratagem limits it to six inches, though. Oh, does it? Right. Okay. So twelve inches. Um, uh, twelve inches is still pretty good, though. But one of the examples of your strategic ploy options is the contempt for sorcery. So they straight up deny the witch. Deny power. psychic, yeah. Could do that twice per psychic phase. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. And, uh, and that's just the first half of that gift, yep. because the second half of that gift is when you select this model to be your warlord, you receive one additional command point. Okay, he's a tactical genius as well. Uh, <laughs> he has the crown of conquest. Absolutely. Yes, with the merest effort of will, the demon can torture all, all manner of strategic insights out of its captive advisors. There we go. <laughs> strategic genius. Um, and then finally, we have the exalted rewards. Um, now, some of these are actually pretty simple, but just pretty damn good. Yeah. So, uh, for example, Lord of the Storm. If this yeah. model is your Warlord and the Warp Storm ability is in effect, then while this model is on the battlefield, 
each time you make a warp zone roll, roll one additional d6. Yep. And once per battle round, when you use a warp zone effect, reduce the warp zone points cost of that effect by one. Yeah, that's really good. Which it's very good for two reasons. One, it brings the high end stuff like the five, you know, warp zone point thing down to four to be yep. able to reanimate. But also, it actually lets you bring a bunch of the two value ones down to one, yeah. which is important because there are no other one warpstone point options. So suddenly, yeah. it gives you something to do with your odd leftover warpstone point. Yeah. Really good. Yep. And then, like finally, we have the Exalted Servant Exalted Reward. Now, this is dead simple because... As with a lot of Crusade rules, unit upgrades, and in this case, the Exalted Demon upgrades for Greater Demons, is something which you don't buy in Army Creation. Instead, yep. you spend Requisition on it uh, once you've gained some ranks, and you become that specialist or upgraded version of your unit. So, in Crusade, you have to be, um, I think it's the second rank before a Greater Demon can purchase an Exalted Gift. However, if you gain the Exalted Servant Exalted Reward at the end of a round of the Great Game, you can have that particular... Uh, well, you can basically use the Exalted Demon Requisition for zero requisition points, so you yep. can upgrade one for free to be Exalted, or you can do that on a demon who already has an Exalted Gift, which yeah. normally you're not allowed to give multiple More than one, gifts yeah. to one greater demon it, it limits it to two you can't do this again and have all three yeah but, um you can have a greater demon who has two exalted abilities by gaining this reward yeah so my bloodthirster would have the uh can't lose any more than eight wounds a phase and also counters double i think is one of them isn't it um <laughs> yeah, on your profile so so you know you're just not reducing his ability to kill things yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the other important caveat with this is that um, as you progress through rounds of the great game, uh, any single greater demon can only have one exalted gift um, and one greater gift and one lesser gift. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't have multiple exalted rewards or greater rewards. But ultimately, after three rounds of the great games, you, you're talking, uh, what, 24, 24 games? games yeah. <laughs> But you could be in a position where you have a greater demon who has an exalted reward and a greater reward and a lesser reward. Yeah. Like, that can happen. It's, like I say, it's probably a year or two's worth of 40k games for a lot of people. <laughs> Played exclusively with your corn demons or whatever, but yeah. you can get there. That is more or less the extent of the great game stuff and the the sort of end game of it all being earning those fancy rewards for your greater demons then we have hours of standard stuff as it were for crusades so we're going to quickly run through uh, the requisitions we have available yeah. uh, so we've mentioned the first one is exalted demon one requisition point has to be a greater demon of i think um uh, battle hardened heroic or legendary rank so couple of ranks up and then they can take an yep. exalted demon gift then we have dark gambit uh, so this is purchase requisition before any battle while you're influencing the great game if you win the battle um 
the god that shares an allegiance keyword with your warlord gains d6 ascendancy points instead of d3. And if you lose the battle, the god that shares an allegiance keyword with your warlord gains no ascendancy points. So this is doubling down, isn't it? This is yeah. calling your shot because this is before the game. If you think you're going to win, you'll get d6 instead of d3 ascendancy points. Um, but if you don't win, you get nothing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, a gamble. It's a gamble. But you can then sort of influence it after the fact with our next requisition, the monstrous duel. So a bit like when we were talking last episode about the Necron Dynasty yep. members all stabbing each other in the back for political gain. Well, this is uh, that, but on a scale with greater demons. Yep, yep. Got to have two great demons in your uh, in your in your roster just so that you can use this requisition. <laughs> yeah, you can spend one to three requisition points, and like you say, you have to have two greater demons of different allegiance on your order of battle. But you select one of those models to be the victor and one of them to be defeated. The god that shares an allegiance keywords with the victor gains one ascendancy point for each requisition point spent, and the god who shares an allegiance keyword with the defeated one loses one ascendancy point for each requisition spent. So if you want your corn demons to come in first, but Sanesh is nipping at his heels in second position, you could spend up to three requisition and suddenly your bloodthirster would cause your ascendancy to go up by three points for corn and down three points for Sanesh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if that's probably going to be something you might be looking at doing in game seven or eight of your yeah, when you get, great game. You're getting a little bit worried about uh, not finishing top with your uh, with your chosen uh, faction. Perhaps you were worried about a ignoble defeat. Oh, nice, nice link. Now this <laughs> this I think is my favourite requisition out of any crusade book uh, that That's I've read so far. This is this yeah. is brilliant. So this is basically demon weapons for demons, but specifically demon weapons made from your own demons. <laughs> <laughs> so the one requisition point, ignoble defeat. Purchase this requisition when an out of action test is failed for a Legion Demonica character model from your army. That model is now considered to be bound. <laughs> select one greater demon model from your order of battle to be the binder, then select one melee weapon that model is equipped with. This cannot be a relic or a malefic weapon. For the selected Legion Demonica character model to be bound into. While that model is bound, the selected melee weapon gains a benefit based on which god it was. So if it was a corn demon, the weapon gets plus one strength. If it was a zinch demon, the weapon gains plus one AP. If it was a Nurgle demon, it gains plus one damage. And if it was a bound Sanesh model, then um, sixes to wound inflict a mortal wound in addition to normal damage. Now, as for the hapless victim, who is now bound into the demon weapon, <laughs> while they are bound... It cannot be included in your army roster. It's still on your order of battle. You just can't bring it to a game because that demon character is currently bound inside the demon weapon of one of their rivals. Um, but you keep a bound tally for that model. Uh, after each battle in which the binder was included on your army roster, add one to this tally. So basically, you're gaining experience as a weapon. But But how will you come back if you're bound into a weapon? Well, you would do that with a glorious return. <laughs> Another requisition for two requisition points. 
Purchase this requisition after any battle while a demon demon legion demonica character model from your army is bound. See the noble defeat above. That model is no longer bound. They, they have returned and escaped bondage as a demon weapon. That model gains one experience point for each mark on their bound tally. The tally is then removed. So basically, just because they're not taking part in the battle, they're just being swung around as a weapon by another demon, they are still gaining experience for when they do return. Um, now, one of the reasons why this is good, though, especially, is because, as far as I can tell, this is in place of suffering the negative effects from having failed out of action test in the yeah. first place. So, for the one requisition point, not you're locking off your character for a, an indeterminate amount of time from actually being used, but they'll continue to gain an XP per game. They will not either gain a battle scar that they would have done otherwise, or they won't lose whatever experience they just gained yeah. in the game in which they were defeated. So if you've got a key game where that character gains five, six XP or more, Maybe they were marked for greatness. Maybe they've got close to double digits. Yeah. But they go out of action, and you don't want to risk losing all that XP or taking a battle scar. If you've got one requisition, turn him into a demon weapon for a bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, it's, a, it's almost like a little recovery room. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> for that demon to go to. You just, you just take, lie down over here for a little bit, and uh, we'll uh, we'll just use you in the way that we need to. But interestingly, again, the actual bound weapon wielder is locked to greater demons. Yeah. It's not just any demon. It has to be your Bloodthirster who's now decided to lock away that Nurgle demon inside his axe and now it's got plus one damage. Yeah. Which, uh, unfortunately, you can't quite combo it with it being a Relic axe, but it does mean you can push that like Bloodthirster axe to being damage-free on sweeps without yeah. having to be the Relic. Yeah, if you've got the Nurgle demon to it, pretty nasty that, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, another small note: it doesn't have to be a different allegiance god. So again, if you play the mono faction army, you could have a corn character be bound by a corn greater demon. Yep. Yeah, just well, because he, he, yeah, just because he also, um, you know, is a, a demon of corn, doesn't mean that he doesn't have rivals within his own ranks. Yep. Just run that bloodmaster straight up the center of the table in game one. Let it let it yeah. die let it die a glorious death or every game uh, until it fails and out of action and then just get it bound into that that big old axe. Yeah, it, it is a fun idea of um, if you're looking for a particular one of those upgrades on a particular great demon, you just need to purchase a relevant low level character of yep. the appropriate god and just throw it at the enemy until it dies. Yeah, until it dies. Yeah, and hope and hope for the best. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so those are your requisitions, um, and in order to uh, sort of you know be gaining them, you'll probably been attempting to complete agendas, of which there are a bunch of new ones. Uh, predictably, there are five. There is one per god plus a um, undivided one, and uh, basically all sort of takes on formats of agendas we've seen before that would be relevant to that god. Yeah, they're so, quite thematic, aren't they? Corny's Killy. Uh, Nurgle's kind of, you know, see the the battlefield and sort of gain territory. It seems to work quite yeah, nice, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, 
Corn is, um, you know, you gain XP for killing um, enemy characters. Oh, is it not characters? It's, um, you, you pick the three yeah. models in your opponent's army that have the highest wounds characteristics. They are the trophy targets. Yes, um, so if you, if you kill the three biggest things, you gain XP. Yeah. Um, Zinch is you gain XP for uh, manifesting smite, which fires and destroying enemy units in the psychic phase. So doing destructive psychic powers. Yeah. Yeah. Nurgle is um, for going and uh, destroying enemy units in each table quarter. Yep. So, you know, spreading death and disease across the battlefield. Um, and so Nash it is for destroying enemy units in the same turn in which you charged or yep. performed heroic interventions. Or if they charge so, you, I believe, as well, isn't it? Uh, isn't that right? Uh, no, I think it's just made nope. a charge move. It's made a charge move, okay. Or destroys an... Uh, an enemy that made a charge move. Yes, or prompt a intervention. Yeah. So, yeah. so Killing it's at high speed. Yep, absolutely, yep. Uh, and then uh, Corrupt Icons is a action-based objective marker one for any, you know, sort of like demon units. It's demon yeah. icon units, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite yeah. similar to, to the Necron one where you can get a... You get a point if you can take them off um, an objective, and then also if you do a an action on a uh, on an objective, I think that's in the middle of the board somewhere, isn't it? That's not that's not within your uh, deployment zone. Nearly exactly the same as the Necron one, I think. Uh, it's just on objective markers, so it's the actual yeah. markers for the mission. But yeah, okay, yeah, basically go to markers, do actions on them, corrupt them, gain XP. Yep. So. All thematic, but also all sort of takes on things we've sort of seen before. Um, however, something that we've not seen before is the loci of the gods. So this is a fun little addition because basically it's a sort of unique kind of battle trait. Um, so this is a when a greater demon, not a surprise, yeah, or make sure a never leave home without one. Yeah. Uh, this is when a greater demon or a herald unit from your army levels up. Basically, instead of gaining a battle trait um, of your choice, you can instead choose for them to gain a loci of the gods. Now, each greater demon or herald can only gain one loci, and then that's their loci forever. You can't gain any more, and yeah. every god has a choice of two. Um, but basically, yeah, it's the sort of like aura based, they're all aura based ability bonuses, um, which. Are just really good. Um, yeah, the, the greater demons is six inches, and the heralds is three inches, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're a greater demon, a six inch aura. If you're a herald, a three inch aura. Um, so we'll just run through them quickly because they're all pretty cool. So for yep. corn, uh, you've got locus of unstoppable fury. Uh, while a friendly corn core unit is in range of ability, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, an unmodified hit roll of six automatically wins the target. Lovely, you get they get grudges. Yeah. Um, lo, uh, locus of diabolical purpose. Uh, it's an aura for core units uh, that get to move an additional three inch when they make consolidation moves. Um, which is cool because it's extra movement. So again, combine it with that corn stratagem, and you're getting a yep. lot of extra movement in the fight phase. Uh, for Zinch, you've got uh, an aura where it affects uh, Zinch's Psyker units within range of its ability. 
Uh, you can re-roll psychic dice of a one or a two when taking psychic tests, which is really good for avoiding perils. Yeah. You know, more than anything. Um, locus of transmorphification. Mogrification. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> While a friendly uh, Zinch core unit is in range of disability, each time a model in that unit would lose a wound on a six plus. That wound is not lost, so it's an apothecary aura. Nice. Uh, Nurgle, locus of pox is uncountered. Uh, friendly Plaguebearer's core unit who enranges ability. You can reroll charge rolls. That's good. Uh, locus of voted regeneration. Uh, friendly Nurgle core unit to enranges ability. Each time an attack is allocated to a model in that unit, subtract one from the damage of that attack. So it's disgusting resilient aura. Yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? And core units, especially when you consider everything else the Plaguebearers can be stacked up yep. to be resilient in the book. Um, and then Slanesh, uh, an aura for uh, Slanesh core units. Each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, improve the armor penetration by one. Yeah, That's can, not a dice roll check. That's just yeah. flat plus one AP aura. Yeah. And can we just give a shout out to the name of that uh, loca- that locus? Because, <laughs> the, yeah, the locus of delicate evisceration. Uh, uh, that's about as Slanesh as it gets, isn't it? It is. Evisceration um, delicately. We, w- <laughs> we would want to be rough with our evisceration. Um, and then finally for Snesh, the locus of unnatural swiftness. Now this, this is classic 8th edition Snesh. This, yeah. this is your character aura of advance and charge for Snesh core units. Yeah. Which, when you consider how damn fast Snesh units are in this book... Um, that is pretty significant. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to stop you from giving the same locus to multiple units in your army, is there? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Nothing something else. You could have multiple locuses of unnatural swiftness yeah. across your heralds and greater demons yeah. in your Sinesh army. Yeah. Just each individual greater demon or herald could only ever have one locus. Yeah. Um, and once they've got it, they've got it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You could get both of them across your characters, or you could have multiple of the same one. It's up to you. But yeah, again, just a nice little added alternative to a battle trait. Yeah, you could see how you could um, build into any of those loci, can't you, to, to, into your army, whether it's being really resilient or whether you want them to be really, really quick. Um, yeah, I think you've got a, quite a thematic approach to your, to your army based on those. Yeah, I think because of the locais and because of the fact that in Crusade you can have multiple warlord traits, you can actually make a very support character-based list for Chaos Demons in Crusade. Yeah. Where you've got lots of beneficial auras and bonuses from your characters, which you're a bit more limited in the number of them that you can have in a typical match play game with them. Mm. Moving on, uh, we do have some traditional battle traits. So there's basically a D3 table for each of the gods' core units. So like blood letters, horrors, demonettes, and plague bearers. Yeah. Um, and some of them are cool. I mean, some of them are just mean, <laughs> like the aspiring skull takers for corn, uh, which is each time an attack made by models in this unit destroys an enemy character unit, subtract two from that character's out of action test. Yeah, that is pretty horrible. And w- once again, yeah, you, obviously it says bloodletter core, and that obviously includes the blood crushers as well, because they obviously have core and bloodletter keywords. 
Yeah, so, it's, it's basically it's your infantry and your mounted equivalents. Yeah. You know? Um. So plague bearers and blight drones, demons yeah. and seekers and seekers. Stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh. Zinch. What we got? Uh. Expert flamecasters plus some ballistic skill. Um, yeah, they don't. They pass oh. automatically pass out of action test. That's pretty cool. Shatter also, self. Um, yeah, so each of them had the number three result basically means that the god relevant core unit unique stratagem costs one less CP for that mm. unit to do. So the blood letter units is one less CP for frenetic bloodlust. Yeah, uh, plague bearers it's one less CP for transhuman. <laughs> now on, on that specific unit. Yeah. Um, but then one of the plague bearer abilities is increase their demonic save to four plus four plus. <laughs> Oh yeah. So this they start to get very difficult to move at that point in time. Yeah, they do. When you've got plague bearers who've got a four plus four plus save and minus one damage loci. Yeah, you can make the minus one to hit as well in shooting as well <laughs> if you wanted to. So yeah, they, they, toughness five, two wounds. Now they are they are very difficult to move. Um, yeah, and, and then there's even a, a list of psychic fortitudes, so which obviously nothing for Korn here. Um, yeah. A, a D3 table for each of Sinesh and Nurgle, and a D6 table for Zinch. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that the, they've given twice as many for Zinch. I think it's really, really nice, really thematic. Yeah, and you've got some stuff in there like there's a Sinesh one that when you deal damage in the psychic phase, so when you manifest a power, you gain a lot. Yeah, you regain a lost wound. Yeah. Um, there's a Nurgle one that's just like uh, plus one to psychic tests. Um, the Zinch one, you've got um, once per battle after psychic manifest smite, you can select one enemy unit in range and visible um, yeah. instead the, of the closest visible. They've got a like Deny a the Witch one smite. where if you roll a, a nine or more, you automatically deny the witch, which obviously <laughs> could be quite useful. Uh, spiteful backlash each time the psyker attempts to manifest smite or a witchfire power if an enemy psyker attempts to deny that psychic power but the deny the witch test is failed that enemy unit suffers d3 mortal wounds oh yeah that's nice I dare you to, to try and uh, block my uh, psychic test that, that's on the 7 statistically you probably could do it but is it worth the potential d3 mortal wounds I don't know that's really nice yeah, it is. Um, and then worth noting, uh, we don't have any battle scars um, in this uh, crusade set, excluding that is the uh, ignoble defeat. Yes, <laughs> requisition, which is a sort of battle scar in its own right. But uh, yeah, no uh, table of specific injuries. Um, but what we do have is a bunch of crusade relics. Yes. Now, being kind of like four books in one you know based on each of the god allegiances we basically have one relic each for the gods for antiquity and legendary ranks so there's there's two relics per god one of each tier yeah um and uh, i was just going to sort of shout out uh, the legendary ones in particular because um the like the the antiquity ones are interesting you know some fun little bonuses there I particularly like the description of the Shroud of Corruption, um, which the flavor text basically describes this cloak as being um, Nurgle's own handkerchief. <laughs> For Grandfather Nurgle's own gushing sternations. 
Yeah, just seems to be saturated with the most inf- infectious and clamorly mucal of warp maladies. Ooh, it's enough to put um, you on your breakfast. Uh, but that particular one is basically like a Lord of Contagion um, yep. aura. It's like if the enemies are so close to them on a four plus, you take mortal wounds. Cool. However, these crew, these legendary relics are particularly hilarious. So, <laughs> yes, they are. For corn, we've got Glermacht, the Destroyer. Well, this is the greater demon axe that has a bloodthirster bound inside it. <laughs> so um, it's a it replaces an axe of corn, which is the weapon only wielded by um, a bloodthirster. Yeah, yeah, only by the bloodthirster. Um, so basically, it has an identical profile uh, to the regular axe of corn uh, in terms of what it does. Uh, except each time uh, when the bearer is destroyed, instead of using any rules that are triggered when that model is destroyed, you can instead replace it with a Bloodthirster model. <laughs> this model uses the Bloodthirster data sheet and is treated as a named character, but does not have a Warlord trait and does not have a Crusade card. At the end of each subsequent fight phase, roll 1d6 for this model, and on a 5+, plus, the Axe's power ensnares it again, and this model is removed from the battlefield. <laughs> so... You need more Bloodthirster with your Bloodthirster. Yeah. You spend all that time, all those phases, trying to do eight wounds a time to kill it, and then once you have killed it, it pops straight back into existence. Straight back into existence, yeah. Full wounds, full killing capacity. You can kill it normally again if you want. It just doesn't have an exalted gift or relics or anything. It's just a base deck to sheet. But... Uh, each subsequent fight phase, and it is each phase, not each one of yours. Yeah. Each fight phase, there's a one in three chance that it's just going to disappear because it's going to be pulled back into the the demon axe again. But I'll take those odds for a free blood first. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it can be very frustrating when Necron warriors get back up again. But uh, can you only imagine the look on your opponent's face when you put a bloodthirster back on the table? I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> Um, so that that's setting the bar for these legendary relics. Let's see how the other gods compete. <laughs> so for Zinch, we have the Tome of Endless Dimensions. Each time the bearer attempts to manifest a Witchfire psychic power or smite on an unmodified psychic test of nine or more, if that power is not denied, after resolving the effects of that psychic power, you can resolve the effects of that psychic power again. Yep. So this is double blasty psychic powers so this turns your smites into 2d3s it turns super smites into 2d6s yeah um notably in here if you're building into a lord of change um with their bonuses to cast and basically trying to trigger the um the infernal gateway power yeah where if you roll high enough which is not hard with all the bonuses um, you can basically automatically do D3, you do three mortal wounds to the closest target and splash three mortal wounds onto every other unit within like three or six inches or something. Yeah, three inches, isn't you're, it? Yeah. Yeah, you're doubling that. It's instantly becoming six mortal wounds to a target and six mortal wounds to every other enemy unit within three inch. You're literally just blasting a crater out of the, <laughs> out of yeah. the opponent's army at that point. Yes, that's pretty uh, pretty nasty as well, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, there's just the power where you roll nine 
D6 for every 5 plus you do a mortal wound, but for every model you kill, they suffer another mortal wound um, to uh, maximum 3. Um, and do that again, so you'd effectively be rolling 18 D6 and every 5 plus is a mortal wound, and for every model killed you can kill up to 6, you can do 6 more mortal wounds. Yeah, yeah, and it's every time as well, isn't it? It's not like once a, once a phase... It's every time you, f- you use one of those psychic powers, so you can smite and use one of the others. Yeah, you can yeah. do smite, you can do bottle change, infernal gateway. And yeah, wow. Well, that's amazing. If you roll a nine or more on the psychic test, which again, since demons have many modifiers to that, you get to double up on that witch fire. It's yep. very destructive. Yes, that is nasty. So, how does Nurgle compete against this? Well, he brings the Contagion Blade. So uh, this replaces the Bile Blade, which again happens to be the weapon of the Greater Demon. Yeah. Um, interesting point, the Zinch one isn't actually locked to the Greater Demon. It is any Zinch model, but the Greater Demon is the best place for it. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, however, Contagion Blade. So this is a great unclean when we have this. Uh, plus one strength, AP minus three, damage three. Again, on a big monster profile, pretty decent. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of a six inflicts D3 mortal wounds on the target in addition to any normal damage. So, you know, it's the Emperor's Sword. It's um, the, is it the uh, Reaper of Obliterax? Is it from Tyranids? It's all uh, these these yeah. epic, you know, melee weapons that exist where they do D3 mortal wounds on a six to wound. Yeah. Dragnian, that's the one I'm thinking of. Dragnian, yeah. Dragnian, yeah. Example, uh, it's sort of top tier melee weapons of 40k and in addition if any model is destroyed by these mortal wounds that model's unit suffers a further d3 mortal wounds yeah. <laughs> because that is mass contagion and disease yeah. just spreading through the ranks with every sweep of this blade so yeah if you got if you got six wound rolls one of them's going to go up a six on average that inflicts d3 mortals and yeah. if just one model dies, it's a further D3 mortals. Yeah. So quite often, every six to wound is actually going to be resulting in two D3 mortal wounds a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty horrible. Hmm. Double Drachnian. That's that's dual wielding the Emperor's Sword and Drachnian. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yeah, pretty nasty. Pretty nasty. So, how does Sodesh compete against these? Because so I far, it, these I three think it'll be rubbish. Right. You think it's going to be rubbish? <laughs> yeah. They can't all be good, surely. Well, this is the Tears of Asherman. Um, oh, sorry, not Tears of Asherman. The Tears of Asherian. Yep. Um, Sodesh model only. So, again, not actually Greater Demon locked on this yep. one. But once per battle, in your command phase, the bearer can shatter a Tear of Asherman. When you do so... You gain six warp storm points. Yeah, that is amazing. And until the start of your next command phase, the bearer knows all of the psychic powers from the soul stain discipline. So that's just the cherry on top, just suddenly knowing all your powers for the turn. But the six warp storm points, which is in addition to the ones you currently have in play, which yeah. by this point might even be stacked up with some extra ones from Exalted Gifts and Lesser yep. Gifts that you've gained. Importantly, not only is six of Warp Storm points a lot of Warp Storm points, and actually 
when you play with the warp sword, you typically only get one, maybe two abilities per battle round at best. Yeah. This could open up options of comboing three, four, possibly even five warp storm, you know, effects based on what you rolled that round. Yeah. But importantly, gaining six warp storm points can put you to a bracket of reaching ten total if you had just four from other sources. And with ten warp storm points, you could actually do double invigoration because you can do it once per turn and you have the warp storm points for the battle round. So you can replay in your morale phase and replenish in your opponent's morale phase. Yeah. That is going to be backbreaking, you know, replenishing that much of your army. If I remember correctly, Slanesh, I've got a really nice um, one as well for four. Is it four? And that is the one that gives them fight first? Yes, army-wide fight first. Yeah. So, I mean, guaranteeing four, having them six to guarantee you being able to use that at the right time would be pretty... Would be pretty useful for an army that wants to get stuck in. Yeah, I mean, um, between all, all you need is nine points, and you can do invigoration and and that. Burst. Yeah. So if you've got three warp storm points from a round, which is a pretty average roll for the warp, but that's storm. less than average, isn't it? Because you get yeah. eight and it's four plus. So you, even if you roll low, you've still got access to two really, really strong warp storm um, powers there. Yeah, the uh, the tears of a Sherman can really sort of like swing the game, um, and using it at the right moment is going to be very clutch. I honestly think that having this particular relic would almost make you feel like you're playing a bit like orcs with the war. Yes, where having that turn to just trigger it and do um, some really strong abilities for a turn is actually going to play a lot into the momentum of your army. So yeah, they're all pretty gate. Pretty great legendary relics. And, uh, I can't argue yeah. with that. That is the sum total of our D uh, Chaos Demon Crusade rules. But you'll have probably heard me mention once or twice throughout this that things are often focused on being rewarded to greater demons in particular. So this is very much a driving force towards powering up a greater demon. And honestly... Um, the list of stuff you can actually upgrade a greater demon with in Crusade now is pretty ridiculous. I made a little list of it here. So after after 24 games, you could have completed three rounds of the great game, probably gained enough XP across all that time to have a top-ranked um, experienced greater demon. Yep. So without considering additional general battle honors and Crusade relics that you'd have for being that rank... You could have a single greater demon who has a warlord trait, a relic, an exalted demon ability, like the purchasable one. Yep. An exalted reward, a greater reward, a lesser reward, a locus of the gods, and a bound demon weapon. <laughs> yeah. Which is. Did it take anything else? Well, that's eight upgrades that aren't locked to his experience. So on top of that, you've yeah. then got battle honors and, and crusade relics. <laughs> like, that's just eight additional upgrades available to a single exalted demon over the span of 24 plus games of crusade. Yeah. Now, wow. admittedly, I don't know how many people out there are going to be playing, you know, 20 plus games of crusade in a single crusade outing, but yeah, 
I think it'd be more your opponents, wouldn't they? After <laughs> yeah. every, every time they came back around again and you put it on the table, they'd probably just shake their head and go, oh, not again. What can it do now? Oh, well, I'm glad <laughs> <Yeah>. you asked. <laughs> but you, but you, know that, uh, you know that Herald that was also pissed you off last game? He's not here because uh, he's currently being wielded in this weapon. Yeah, well, he technically is here, but you won't be able to kill him. <laughs> He might kill you, he kill you. But you can't kill him. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It, it, it's great general like chaos shenanigans, and I love it. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I, honest... I said, yeah, I said at the start that I I wasn't sure how they would get the theme into a crusade for demons, but I think they've done a really good job. Yeah, I think they have, and I think uh, going with the great game mechanic. Uh, even when you could be playing as a mono faction god list and you still sort of interact with it in a meaningful way, I think is a great idea. Mm. I think that's very well executed. But also, I love the fact that you can create a really thematic little story for your own force simply by having two competing warlords. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do anything more than that. Just have two different um, figureheads that can act as the warlords for your army and each game just alternate between which one is the active warlord. Uh, and that will in itself create um, a real flux of power between the two of them, mm. and uh, lead to some interesting outcomes. Yeah, I'd I'd love to I'd love to see like four people, perhaps run a crusade with mono god armies, and see how the four great demons were were sort of grew over the course of the crusade and actually played a proper the great game. Um, I think it would be really awesome um, to see that kind yeah, of thing. Cause- the best way you could do with that as well is you don't actually have four individually tracked great games. You could have just one group-based great yep. game ascendancy rank. Yeah. <laughs> so after each game, um, each god gains... Well, basically, you probably rule it as each game you play, your god gains D3 regardless, as opposed yep. to every god gaining. It's just the, the, the two players involved, their gods yep. gain D3 regardless. And whoever won the game, their god gains an additional D3. But then at the end of every eight games, the players' ranks actually determine who gets the bonuses of yeah. the exalted rewards and who gets the uh, bitter jealousy bonus. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you get <laughs> nothing, win. just do better. But you get hit rerolls against all your opponents. Oh, and well, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow, that would make a really interesting next eight games, wouldn't it? It would. Like uh, whoever the underdog was, suddenly yeah. has got a real bonus against uh, their opponents. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I've got a corn army. I wonder if I can. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I can claw it together as inch one, maybe. Who knows. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I think that would make a great little crusade campaign for people to play, and that's about even pulling in things like the uh, the Chaos Space Marine rules if you had some morsels involved in this as well. Yeah, but yeah, I love it. Uh, great set of crusade rules, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to more in the future. I'm, I'm curious now to see what the guard are going to get, and uh, also curious what the World Eater one is going to be like. Like yeah, I suspect there'll be a lot of killing in that one. I said it before, I'll say it again. I'll be very disappointed if there isn't a set of stratagems or um, requisitions where they're all called kill, main, and burn. Yeah. 
Needs to be three requisitions: kill, main, and burn. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, um, I think that'll sort of wrap everything up for the great game for tonight. So uh, just before we sort of head out, uh, we'll just quickly do our community spotlights. Uh, I don't know, Jonathan, if you've got anything in particular that you want to shout out. Um, so, um, like I said last time, I don't tend to um, watch a, a lot of um, videos or c- consume a lot of stuff, but I do um, try and follow a, um, a little bit on Instagram. So I'll shout out another um, painter, another Instagram account that I came across recently that I thought their work was really nice, and that was Mud Creek Miniatures. Uh, he's painted some. Uh, he drew me in. I, like last time, it was with an Eldar one. Uh, every, you know, you know, I like like the the craft world stuff, and they've been painting some of the new Dark Reaper models. Well, then when I delved a bit deeper, he'd done some really lovely um, Death Guard models, and he's got some Necrons in there as well. Um, just really nice, clean painting, um, the sort of thing that I really enjoy looking at. So yeah, if you get a chance to check him out on Instagram, uh, Mud Creek Miniatures. Yeah, I'm just looking now, and uh, yeah, it it looks. Uh... Looks really nice. Um, yeah, I just yeah, like it's, it's just really really, really, really clean. clean. Yeah, it's the kind of style I like. It's funny considering half the models on here are Death Guard. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and yet it doesn't look out of place. It does. I, I find. Yeah. Now it looks lovely. Um, cool. Uh, and then uh, finally, for myself, uh, I wanted to shout out again. Um, Robert J. Bailey, and in particular his uh, his two sort of podcasting contributions. So we've mentioned before Old X, um, which is a brilliant little uh, podcast where he reads out excerpts from old um, 40k codexes. You know, sort of those like little just paragraph or half page narratives right. existing in codexes. It's brilliant. Um, and also uh, his Bailey's Bookshelf uh, podcast series. Where um, he reads through some sort of you know select and famous audiobooks. Um, so the first one that he's done is he he's read through War of the Worlds, oh, um, right. and gone through all of that as a, an audiobook production all by himself. Because like say he is a professional voice actor, and you know um, he I, I thank him greatly for the work that he contributed to on the uh, the first battle report, and hopefully. Um, Robert's going to be helping contribute to some of the uh, future um, productions. So yeah, it's uh, it's worth checking out his existing works because he's a he's a damn good voice actor and he brings some mm. real life to the sort of characters that he portrays. So uh, yep. if you want forty k stuff, then Old X, and if you're interested in War of the Worlds and other um, classical literature, then yeah, it's a, a Bailey's Bookshelf. It's a great cool. podcast to go check out. Have you have you worked with him on any of, any any of your other stuff? Have Not you... yet. No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Tend to in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Between um, uh, between Robert and Chris and Steve from Sub City, like uh, I, I've got a few little contacts now with wonderful sets of voice actors who do mm-hmm. some wonderful work. So I'm hoping that uh, between them all, we can create some really interesting and engaging content for you guys uh, both here on the podcast and on over on youtube yeah brilliant so yeah uh, it's a big thank you to rj bailey and uh yeah 
I think that's that's everything for tonight then, isn't it? Yep, the great game has been completed. Or maybe it's just begun. <laughs> maybe it has. Well, uh, thank you for coming and joining me again, Sharpie. Yeah, no, you're absolutely welcome. I love it. I love it. Yep, yeah, you've been uh, a great new sort of guest on the show, so hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. And, uh, yeah, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k.